Did you think for one second that the Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, wouldn't be here for you on a Saturday, baby? Oh, I'm ready for you. Well, that's when it airs. I know lots of people listen throughout the week. And in fact, you know, this week, woo, I am excited because out of nowhere did we end up with, uh, boy, at least another another thousand, almost 2,000 new uniques this week. Uh, uniques being listens, downloads, you know, it's just a term for all of that, uh, that, that come from a, you know, that you know isn't the same person, right? And, oh, that is awesome. Always, always excited to get more people on board with the show. So love having you here. Welcome to Sovereign Tech. And, boy, if this is your first time hearing it or maybe even just your second time hearing it, You've got some catching up to do. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you don't. You don't have to catch up. Just know that that we've talked about a lot of subjects. You're gonna hear me. You're gonna hear me say things like, "Woo!" Like as we've said previously on Sovereign Tech. Okay, this show's been going on for four years. I mean, there, there's so much stuff that we've covered. But each episode, I like to think, is really evergreen. Okay, which means that you can listen to it, and it's kind of a capsule in time, and and you get to appreciate what's in it. And usually, there's some kind of wild, far out idea. Not to pat myself on the back or anything. Uh, that that you know that stands the test of time. I think, or or you get to see how perhaps some ideas have evolved uh, over time. So very very handy thing uh, in my opinion, you know, to, to, to check out, you know, all of the past episodes, if you want to, I know there's over 200 on them of them because we're in episode 201, but please do. If you have it now, if you're wondering, holy shit, what's with the audio? Well, I am on location at the moment. Uh, and so I'm not in the, the beautiful studios, you know, the sovereign, the Stephanie Murphy studios. And, um, you know, so if you're wondering why my voice might be a little less melodious, that's what you got going for you. But I'm here. And actually, that's also why there was no intro. Uh, <laughs> that's why there's, <laughs> we're just going to run this show straight, uh, straight through. I've got, we've got a ton of great stories to get into. We're still going to do the segments. It's just, I'm not going to like break them up, uh, because I don't have the, the usual template that I use, uh, to make this show. I make this show in a very unique way. I've talked about it on, uh, on Patreon episodes about how how I actually make the show Sovereign Tech, because some people have wondered. And of course, if you want to become a Sovereign Tech patron, we got more of those this week. Thank you so much for signing up for that. If you want to become a patron, all you got to do is just go to SovereignTech.com. Of course, it's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com. That'll take you right to the Patreon page. And also, you can listen to the show there. You can do all kinds of shit there. It's great. Uh, so it's, it's more than just a Patreon page. Uh, but anyway, so thank you. Welcome to the show. Uh, anybody that's, that's new to this whole thing, because whoo, we drive them wild here on Sovereign Tech, baby, every single week. This is high impact tech news, baby. And I mean it, high impact, we, high energy. It's all of it. So let's get into it. Uh, because damn, <laughs> like I said, there, there is so much news, uh, that came out this week. And, uh, and in some ways, boy, if you didn't listen to episode 199C, now that was a very special, that was a fictional episode. Okay. Just something for fun. It was meant to be kind of a Halloween episode. But, uh, you know, in some ways, it kind of put us a week back <laughs> from from a lot of the news. So, you know, everything got kind of backed up and, and whatever. So so we've got a lot to cover, some stuff that I've missed. But, of course, you know, that means that if people, uh, you know, if enough people get on board with uh, Patreon or if we end up with a few more uh, sponsors, of course, uh, then we could do multiple shows a week and then that'll never happen. We'll be able to cover all the news or at least, you know, perhaps all the appurtenant uh, news more specifically. So I want to, I want to get this out of the way real quick uh, because I know a lot of people are asking about it. What the hell is going on? And it has to do with something that I've been recommending using 
for really since the beginning of the show. In fact, the original email address for this show uh, was through this provider. Um, and I, well, so you've probably heard about it. Uh, C4SS has done some great write-ups on it. Um, I was hearing some concerns in some v- IRC channels that I hang out in. Uh, and that is that riseup.net, okay, which is a very, very popular, uh, well done, and, and I mean, just incredibly useful uh, platform. It's not just email. I mean, they're best known for email, but they also offer VPN services and a whole slew of other things, etherpads, all this other stuff. Uh, for activists of all stripes, uh, they, you know, just a wonderful, wonderful service. And I have recommended uh, using them for, for a good long while. Now, what's happened in really about the past week or so is that they have not uh, updated their warrant canary. Uh, in fact, the, the warrant canary, you know, was down there, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's dead. It, ha- it hasn't been updated effectively. And now a lot of people were freaking out about this. I mean, like they were just, you know, holy shit, what the hell are we going to do? Oh my God, you know, get, get off a rise. Everything's cracked, blah, 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 blah. Now I just want to, you know, I'm just going to put this down. We don't have a whole lot of details. A lot of it is guesswork. The thing we know is that the Warren Canary is dead. Okay. Now be, I want to be very clear about this. That does not mean that they handed over any information. That just means they might, that rise up, you know, as an organization might be under, under some, some sort of gag order. Okay. That's all that that really means. In fact, the last tweet we have from them is from November 24th and there there was actually ended up being two tweets. One of them, you know, and I'll read the tweet here for you. This is the first one. Uh, one, there is no need for panic Two, our systems are fully under our control. Three, we will provide additional information at a later date. Um, and then they added another tweet, which said four, our prior tweets did not have any hidden subtext. So because something that they, they made a tweet, uh, referencing hummingbirds, but it was a lyric from a Leonard Cohen song. But unfortunately, Leonard Cohen, rest in peace, uh, died, you know, at that time. So I really don't personally, I don't think that that Leonard Cohen, uh, tweet that referenced the hummingbird had any meaning towards the canary. Like, I, I really don't. I, I think that that was just, um, you know, I, I, I think it, it was just happenstance you know, that somehow it had anything to do with a bird. Um, so, and, and I mean, and it makes sense for actually for rise up to use that term because the symbol for rise up.net is the crow. So the fact that they would choose a lyric from, you know, Leonard Cohen about a bird, I mean, you know, I, I think that's, that's a lot more likely. So here's the thing. Okay. Do not, do not panic. All right. Like I, in fact, I, 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 you know, put it out on various social media. I said, I was like, look, you know, keep calm and use PGP. And that's, you know, if you want to talk about answers to all this. So I put a link in the appendix to the show notes for episode 201 here. I said, here's, uh, you know, I, I put in from, from C4SS that William Gillis wrote, he did great work and he gives you, you know, okay, this is what you want to do if you're using rise up for this, 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 okay. You know, you want to get, maybe download your emails now and all this stuff, but really, and, and I'm sure William would agree with this. Uh, or, you know, I, I think he might've said s- similar things on various social media, but my point would stand the same is that if you're PGP encrypting or GNU PG or GPG, whatever, however you want to, if you want to get super tech, you know, pedantic with me. Um, but if, you know, if you PGP encrypt, 
your really important emails that have that would have any bearing, or if you encrypted them all, shit. Uh, in many ways, it wouldn't matter, you know what what Rise Up would hand over about you as far as your email goes, because what are they going to see? They're going to see gibberish. You know, they don't have your keys. So it really highlights the importance of even if you trust, even if you're working with a great organization like riseup.net is, um, you really want to, and actually some listeners let me know that this is going down too. Um, so, and I appreciate that when people make sure I'm on top of these things, but anyway, uh, you know, even if you're working with a great organization, just encrypt fucking everything. Get PG and PGP is not hard anymore, folks. You know, you use if you especially if you have an Android phone, you can download Open Keychain, and the Open Keychain app will set you up. I mean, and it works beautifully with Canine Mail. Uh, there's there's really I I really don't feel like especially on mobile. There's not a great excuse anymore to not use PGP. And Enigmail for Thunderbird does a great job of of PGP. Uh, as well. So that's, that's really the ultimate solution here. Cause this could happen to anybody. This doesn't, I mean, and it does happen to most people rise ups just being, you know, on the up and up. Now, I mean, understand rise up is run by anarchists. They, I really don't think that they will. I think they, just my opinion. I think these people are of the caliber kind of like a LeVar Levinson who would either a shut their business down before they turn anything over or B they would go to jail before they would hand anything over. Okay. These are principled people, whether you agree with them on everything or not, because you know, you went to riseup.net's page and it said, Oh, you know, you're not going to use this to, to support capitalism or something. It, you, deal with it, folks. You know what they're talking about. They're talking about the system straight up. Get over it. Get over that fucking word. Okay. So <laughs> anyway, you know, these, these are, these are great guys or, you know, great people. I shouldn't, you know, not just guys, they're great people. And, uh, and I, and I, I think really, uh, that they, they would honestly, that they'd go to jail. I mean, probably what's happening is, is that they are going to take this gag order to court, you know, and they're going to take having to hand anything over to court. Uh, will we hear anything about what happened? Maybe we never will. And if you don't want to trust riseup.net anymore, I understand that. Okay. Uh, but don't freak out that somehow everything is leaked. I, I just, I mean, it's, it's my opinion. We don't have all, nobody has all the information. Uh, but in my opinion, this isn't something to go nuts over. This is just something to say, you know, Hey, um, you're going to want to think about this. And if you weren't encrypting your emails before, uh, you're going to, you're, you're, and if perhaps you're looking for maybe a a comparable suite uh, I mean, because like I said, Rise Up was offering, I mean, they offer everything. They're, they're not, I shouldn't speak of it in the past tense because we, again, we don't really know what's what's all going on. Um, but if you want something that offers, you know, the VPN, the email, uh, even instant, instant messaging services, even hosting services, all this other different stuff. Okay, if you want to look, you know, for, for a variety of things, you know, we're not really talking websites here. You can use <laughs> agrishosting.com for that. Uh, but you know, it's called, um, boy, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, but, uh, autistici inventati. Yeah. Autistici inventati. I will put a link in the show notes that will also be in the appendix, uh, for episode two, for episode 201 of Sovereign Tech. And they offer much of, you know, like what Rise Up offers. Uh, maybe their VPN service isn't as robust. Um, at least last, last time that I used their VPN, it, it, you know, it was a little more limited in, uh, in what it could do. And it wasn't working with like new technologies like Bitmask and some others. Uh, but 
you know, th- there's others out there and more will crop up. Even if, if Rise Up shut, shuts down tomorrow, I guarantee you there will be another service like that that, that will come into play. Uh, and, you know, as far as trusting them, well, don't trust, you know, that's the old rule. Don't trust anybody. And how do you do that? You encrypt the shit that you put up there. Encrypt your emails. Use PGP. Like I said, you have Open Keychain, okay, which is an app for Android. Makes it easy as fuck. It sets up the key for you. It is so simple. It can't get any simpler than that, okay? Uh, Or you have Enigmail through Thunderbird, which is another great option that's available on pretty much every desktop, you know, you could imagine. Um, So... You know, look, look at those things. Those are the solutions. Do not freak out. Do not think that everything was taken down. And there's a good chance that Rise Up will come out of this relatively unscathed, you know, and, and, and maybe they will go on for a good long while. Who knows? Um, but I just want to, you know, I know people are probably thinking, what the hell's going on with that? And I've recommended and I still, you know, I've used riseup.net for years. Um, I've gotten a lot of people that use it now, you know, I'm the one that got them in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause there's a, you know, there's a degree of, um, you know, you, you have to recommend people, you have to send them a code and all this different stuff. So, I mean, hey, you know, uh, th- there it is. So just to let you know what's going on with riseup.net, I will keep you posted if anything new comes out or if my concerns change. And believe me, if something like really, really crazy happens, I will do a quick 10, 15 minute episode of Sovereign Tech and I'll release it in the main feed and say, get the hell off there and run away if I think that there, if I think it's that serious. But I really don't think so. I don't think there's any need to panic. Just relax. If you want to, you know, get your stuff off of there and get it working on something else. But but don't freak out, okay? There's there's really not any sign that they've handed anything over whatsoever. Um, but their, you know, their canary definitely is effectively dead. Uh, you know, Warren Canaries, very handy things to have. And, and you got to appreciate a company that sets them up uh, in the first place. Anyway, uh, whew, this week... Now, some of these things I'm going to get into, of course, what we call now the foreplay, okay, <laughs> which is where we just do little news tidbits. Of course, sometimes I end up talking forever about a, you know, a more particularly interesting story. But the, the, the purpose of the foreplay, which used to be the random access, the foreplay is just to get us ooh, warmed up. You know what I mean. <laughs> so, so why don't we go ahead? Let's get this all. Let's get this warming up. Now, the, the first story here actually got, uh, got asked of me uh, on various social media what I thought about this story. And, uh, and it's an interesting one enough. And I think, it, you know, if people just read the headlines, which statistically, supposedly, that's what most people do is they just read the headlines. They don't actually read the story. And usually they'll share it. And now people are, are sharing not just fake news, not like the fake news problem on Facebook, um, which we haven't really addressed on Sovereign Tech, but I'm, I'm kind of waiting on a, on a couple other things before I do. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people talk about how there's fake news. Well, now there's a lot of people that are putting out entirely fake stories or not not entirely fake stories, but stories where at the end, the, you know, they'll have some bullshit that they'll mention. Like, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll totally, um, I don't know, d- debunk or, or just say the exact opposite of whatever the headline was. And then anybody that shares it and didn't actually read it, you know, ends up looking like an ass. Uh, I actually support this kind of thing because, uh, you know, one of the big problems we have in the world today, as I've said for years, is a lack of paying attention. And, you know, I want to see people that pay attention. I want them to really know, you know, what they're reading and all this. So not that I want people getting shamed over this sort of thing. Uh, but, I, you know, it, it's fine if a lot of people end up with egg on their face because, you know, hey, 
motherfucker, pay attention. All right, you know, you know, you you don't you have no idea what you just shared. Uh, so this this opening story for the foreplay uh, really, and of course, for those that don't know, the, the end segment of the show is called the climax, the foreplay. Get it? Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> so so you know, this story I think was getting schlepped around. And perhaps a lot of people, not the person that sent it to me, but a lot of people, I think, didn't understand just exactly um, what this was. Like, they literally just ran off of the headline. And it is that uh, Kaspersky, that being Eugene Kaspersky of, you know, Kaspersky, the the antivirus software, uh, you know, that, that a lot of people want to go nuts and say, oh, it's from Russia. Don't use it. Don't use it. I mean, I don't recommend using antivirus software anyway, anymore, ever. Okay, just don't. Um in fact, I talked about that recently on a, on a Patreon episode uh, because people asked me about it. So, but with Kaspersky, a lot of people want to take anything this guy has to say, anything, no matter what, including what we're about to talk about, I'm sure. They want to take it with a grain of salt because the, the theory goes is that Eugene Kaspersky worked with, for the KGB uh, years ago, back when there was, you know, a, a, <laughs> uh, some people say there's still a KGB, you know, uh, but, but effectively when there was a KGB, you know, that Eugene, that supposedly Eugene Kaspersky, you know, was, was on board with it and all that. So really anytime you're using anything from, from Kaspersky, you're really just helping out the Russians. Me, I don't give a shit about government. So whatever, you know, as if like everything you're using, isn't sending information off to the USA or, you know, to the U S government, which, how is it much worse? <laughs> I mean, God, you have the NSA. I mean, these these people are terrible. Uh, you know, all the alphabet soup organizations, the NSA, FBI, CIA, AT&T. Yes, that's an alphabet soup organization now. Um, you know, I mean, all of them. It's, it's, it's all terrible. They're, they're all, in, in honestly, in my opinion, all of them are just as bad as, as the KGB could have ever been. Uh, so anyway, but Kaspersky you know, came out with, and this is supposedly something now I've heard a couple different. So, so this is interesting because this is news that just came out this week that Kaspersky, Kaspersky came out with Kaspersky OS. Okay. Now we got to back up some history on this because first off, a lot of people are reporting this as new news. I had heard about it in August of this year. Okay. But now in November of 2016, we're starting to hear about it. Uh, there were rumors about this also that I remember just kind of briefly hearing, but more directly, I heard about it in August, uh, back in 2012. In fact, like, in a, I, I want to say, you know, maybe even in the fall of 2012, much like we're, we're at now. Um, and so that would fall in line with what some people are saying that this has been in development for four years, but then Kaspersky himself is, seems to be saying it's been in development for like 14 years. So I'm a, I'm a little confused by this. And, and so <sighs> there's a lot of things up in the air about it, you know, just from this, because also the main point seems to be, according to Eugene Kaspersky himself, seems to be that, because he wrote up all in a, in a blog post, seems to be that they are pointing Kaspersky OS at solving the IoT problem. But look, in 2012, there was no IoT like, you know, an IOT problem didn't exist really. I mean, maybe like in, in the shadows, somebody was developing this sort of thing. Uh, but it just, it seems that part of the story seems kind of odd. Now, particularly if say it was f- designed 14 years ago, uh, what the fuck? <laughs> like there was no IT what's IOT whatsoever, you know, that being the internet of targets, I'm sorry, internet of things. Um, so now, now, but also Eugene kind of mentions how, well, we were actually designing it for like electrical grids to protect those, you know, and this sort of thing. Then it makes sense that perhaps this was on some kind of 14 year timeline. Right. But 
regardless of all of that, all of that is just kind of strange and maybe it's just marketing talk. Okay. I, I, I could believe that, uh, really, but beyond all of that, what I want to talk about is the OS itself. Now, first off, we have so few details. I mean, like there's not much to talk about. We, you know, nobody really knows what the deal is. Uh, there's some interesting points to bring up, uh, about it, but this is the, perhaps the thing that, that will just get everybody to tune out right out of the gate is the fact that this is a GUI-less operating system, meaning it doesn't have a graphic user interface. Okay. It's just, this is all command line. And in fact, really it's meant to just kind of run in the background and you don't really, you know, you, you don't really do much with it. Okay. So hearing that you're not getting a desktop operating system, at least perhaps not yet. I mean, maybe at some point it would, it would build up to that, but this is an operating system. What we do know about it is that it's based on, you know, a microkernel, uh, uh, you know, structure, which is similar to what we've talked about recently with a Fuchsia OS, which is what Google was or has been developing. Now, Google's is open source. I don't think Kaspersky OS is open source. Like, I, I don't think they're letting anybody else, you know, know, know the deal about it. If it is, um, you can correct me. You can send me an email. But as far as I could tell, um, it was not it was not something that's readily available. As to where Fuchsia OS from Alphabet slash Google is available, like, on GitHub. Okay, and you can check that out. Now, Fuchsia OS, as far as we can see, is is based on, or is designed for IOT. Like that's kind of the guess some other people thought. And even I've, you know, wondered, is this going to actually be for, um, you know, is this that Google OS that everybody, everybody's been talking about where you take Chrome OS and you take Android and you kind of put them together, uh, you know, into one, is that what Fuchsia OS is all about? Uh, but it seems, cause we also know that just like Kaspersky OS, like I said, Fuchsia OS is, uh, also a microkernel architecture. Okay. So I, I don't know, but anyway, the claims going, okay, for that, that may, and Fuchsia OS, this is also true for that, uh, is that there's no, it's not, there's not a, or I think as Eugene said it, or Eugene Kaspersky said something to the effect of, you know, there's not a, there's not a whiff of Linux there, or not a sniff, maybe he said. Uh, but the idea is, is that, you know, there is, this is not Linux based in any way, shape or form. Now that's also true for Fuchsia OS. Okay. Now those, that aspect of things of being a completely new kernel excites me like that. That's a good thing. I I am totally on board with that. I love Linux just fine. Don't misunderstand me. I love BSD. I get it. Okay. Uh, you know, as well, but, um, but yeah, I mean, we, you, it's so funny because I don't know if I talked about this on a Patreon episode or if it was in a Sovereign Tech uh, proper, Sovereign Tech Prime episode, which, like you're listening to now. Um, but I, I, you know, Kaspersky was complaining about the fact that, you know, with that, that really Microsoft right now with Windows, with Windows 10 is creating a monoculture of security, meaning that they are, they are killing the security industry for that's built around that has been built around windows for the past, you know, 20 years or whatever, including Kaspersky's own antivirus, like that they're being very monopolizing and all that. And he was, he was mad about it. Well, okay. <laughs> Obviously Kaspersky has another business model here that coming with Kaspersky OS. Um, but you know, I, I, I get his point. I disagree with him. I think that actually Microsoft is the company to handle 
you know, the bulk of the aspects of security for Windows 10. That's my personal opinion. But I'll tell you where I really don't want a monoculture is in operating systems. I don't want there to just be one operating system. I want a shit ton of them. You know, take your, you know, take your pick. And for a lot of, you know, apps and software, not saying gaming, but for a lot of apps and software, frankly, you can run emulation layers on a lot of these different, uh, you know, a lot of these different things, kind of like how Tizen has an emulation layer for Android, right? Uh, you know, or, or even BSD has an emulation layer for Linux. In fact, a lot of Linux software runs better on BSD than it even does on Linux, which, I mean, it's true. Um, you know, you could just do that if, if you really wanted to, but for fuck's sake, for security purposes, much like is the reason apparently that Kaspersky OS exists, you know, don't have a monoculture of operating systems. So anyway, all of that aside, okay, now the big, cl- the other big claim here is that suppose that, is that this is hack proof. That's coming right from Kaspersky. That's the words used. And th- I mean, that's just laughable. You know, that that's pure marketing talk. Nothing, nothing is hacker proof. Not really. I mean, or how to put this. Okay, so there's such a thing as, you know, like very simple hardware devices or, you know, hardware. Yeah, there's hardware that is, you know, perhaps hacker proof because it doesn't have any connectors and, you know, you you can't get into it, blah, 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 blah. But even then, maybe you could crack it open and you could solder on a chip. You know, I mean, just saying hacker proof is just the dumbest fucking shit you could possibly say. Uh, That's ridiculous. So anyway... I think that's all marketing. And the whole purpose of this, again, in fact, the first thing I think it's going into is it's going into a router. Uh, the, well, let's see, I, I have it listed here. The, the Craftway Layer 3 Switch. So this is being designed for routers. Again, that's to address IoT because where is, in many ways, and maybe we will get into this more later during our Internet of, uh, Internet of Targets segment. Okay, uh, we've got a great story lined up for that. Has to do with light bulbs. <laughs> you can't believe what what happened next. Uh, but anyway, you know the router. I mean, maybe it's sometimes depending on the locality of of say the the hack or crack that's going down. You know, really the router is where where you're going to get access to a lot of these different devices, and you're going to be able to exploit a lot of IoT devices. Uh, so that's a fine place to put a supposedly hack proof operating system on there. Again, that is just a dumb thing to say. It's just not true. Uh, but hey, you know, I'm not against this. I'm certainly not against against its existence, but I don't think it really means it's not going to mean much to people. Uh if it ends up getting laid out and used to say defend um you know, like electrical grids and who knows what else hell, even nuclear power plants, you know, thinking something like Stuxnet, you know, to work against that. Uh, you know, all that kind of shit. Yeah. I mean, that's great for it to, for it to exist with that. I, again, the question about this, we know very little about the operating system itself. And I think part of that is because as far as I know, it is not open source. So that raises a huge security red flag right there. Um, and again, and, and I, I understand perhaps why it wouldn't be, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but I understand why, because you know, I mean, Kaspersky was very clear that shit, Microsoft's killing our present antivirus business model, so we need to get into another business model. So if they make a great IoT operating system, well, that that solves the issue. In fact, that solves, you know, I could almost have saved this for the IoT segment, but I didn't. But anyway, it does kind of, I just want to touch on it because it really does solve, I think, the issue of where you have a lot of these inexpensive devices, where these companies that make a lot of these really cheap IoT devices, they cannot afford a security team. They can't afford, a, you know, a security section. You know, I mean, they can barely afford probably what they're getting out there. Okay. 
uh, you know, as far as the devices themselves. So if they could pay a license or, you know, buy, buy it, you know, buy it outright, whatever, um, you know, copies of say Kaspersky OS to, you know, to somehow work with their systems. Well, that, that could, that could really help this problem of that, 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 you know, that, that moronic consumers buy cheap products and they forget that they're going to get what they pay for. Meaning that when they buy something cheap and it doesn't come from a big company, say like Google or Microsoft or or Amazon or something like that, they are not going to get security baked in and they're going to get screwed. You know, (laughs) what's the, what's the old saying? Uh, Penny wise, dollar foolish, or is that the other way around? But point being is that, well, you know, good job on scrimping there, but because it's insecure, somebody's going to hack into your, you know, effectively crack into your bank account, and then you're going to lose all your money. So way to go, Jack. You should have spent $200 on that fucking light bulb instead of 20 right? So, and if, believe me, <laughs> you think they can't get to you through the light bulbs, the Philips Hue, whatever else? You just wait. It's going to get worse. Uh, but yeah, so Kaspersky OS, nothing necessarily to get excited about. It is a movement in the industry in the right direction. That doesn't mean it's a great implementation because we don't know. We don't know much about it, but it is a move in the right direction. Okay. And, and for the people that are like, oh, it's the fucking Ruskies taking over, you know, if you're worried about them, but you're not worried to shit about your own, you know, about the U S government, you're crazy. You're fucking insane. So, I mean, and, you know, there's other, honestly, there's other operating systems and these are desktop operating systems. You know, these are, you know, potential workstation operating systems and all that. Um, not just like say server or router based like Kaspersky OS, uh, that, that are being developed. In fact, one of them in Russia has been very exciting for me for, for, well, it's almost a decade now. And that's a React OS and React OS was supposed to be a totally new operating system, totally new kernel, but can run perfectly can run win 32 binaries. Okay. So it could run all the windows software. It could do all the gaming that you want. Well, except for maybe they'd have to make, I guess they'd have to do DirectX. you know, get that reverse engineered. But other than that, well, actually DirectX can install through a binary, right? So, you know, through an X or yeah. So maybe you could still work that out. Anyway, I always thought react OS was exciting as shit, but a lot of people, you know, I, I've had friends that are like, are you kidding me? It's being made by the Russians. It's like, Oh, so what? <laughs> like Windows isn't being watched by every other government on the planet? Are you fucking kidding me? You know, at least you're not like giving, say, Microsoft more money if you use React OS. Oh, anyway. <laughs> and there's others. Redox OS is another exciting one. There are non-Linux, non-BSD, not that I have a problem with BSD, you know, uh, uh, operating systems getting developed that are also for, you know, the, the average user, average consumer, perhaps. And I think those are all exciting developments too. But Kaspersky OS is not one of them. Not directly anyway. In the end, it might help out those people, but uh, it's not really something that they're going to end up uh, end up touching. And if it's going to be hack-proof, I would assume you really can't touch it. Like, it's not meant for you to, to, to get your hands on and, and to do anything with. So anyway, wow, whew, 20 minutes there <laughs> on that whole subject. We've got a whole lot more to the foreplay uh, to get into, so uh, so let's do it. Now, I guess while we're talking security, this might be uh, an, an interesting thing to bring up. And that is that a, a crack has been uh, devised, developed. It's theoretical, not known that it's necessarily been used in the wild, but it allows for, um, and this is largely only true for, and this goes, this goes to my point about not having a monoculture of operating systems. This goes largely just for windows machines. Um, because 
what this is, so, so what it allows, it allows for your headphones, your run-of-the-mill headphones, to be used as a listening device. Okay, which converts them into microphones. Now, this isn't anything new. Like, like this capability for the hardware to do, it's not like suddenly people are selling, you know, headphones that, oh shit, these things could be used as microphones and, and you know, could listen in on, on a conversation or something. No, no, no. <laughs> no, microphones or headphones have always been able to do this. Okay, it's the same technology. You know, they just, they, they function in reverse, but it's the same exact, uh, you, you know, setup. Okay. So, so this has always been possible. In fact, I mean, I even remember as a kid, uh, like if I didn't have, you know, I thought it was really cool when I discovered, oh shit, I, you know, on, on my, <laughs> on my boom box, I could plug in, um, you know, I could plug in my headphones into, uh, you know, into, into the microphone jack on my boom box. You know, this would have been, you know, nineties, early nineties. And then I could hit record on my cassette player, you know, in the boom box and I could actually like record myself talking. I did this all the time. It was great. I mean, the quality sucked, but I certainly knew what the hell I was saying. So this isn't anything new, but what's, what, what's different here. Okay. With this crack, with, with this exploit is that you get, so it uses the real tech software and the real tech drivers, which is what a lot, you know, a lot of laptops, even a lot of desktops use uh, Realtek, that's R-E-A-L-T-E-K, I believe. Uh, they use the Realtek drivers, you know, to, I mean, and they're great for what they do, you know, that, that powers their sound. Okay. Pretty much anything that isn't creative, frankly, uses that, you know, creative as in creative audio. Uh, and so it can use that to change within the software itself, what your port you know, what your headphone port works as, which this is commonplace. Now you have laptops, okay. Where you only have one headphone jack. You only have the one, one eighth jack, right. Or the 3.5 millimeter, whatever you want to call it. Okay. You only have the one jack and depending on what you put into it, it you know, decides what it'll be. In fact, in windows, you'll see like the real tech, uh, uh, you know, GUI will come up. Okay. The, the interface will, will pop up the software that'll say, you know, what do you want? What is this device? What do you want it to be? And you get to choose, you know, what exactly it is. Or if you have multiple, even if you have multiple headphone, uh, headphone jacks or, you know, one eighth jacks, you can plug in, you know, as much as you want and you can choose what each one functions as. Okay. And now the thing is that this exploit is able to use the real tech drivers to change up on you remotely. Okay. So the NSA, GCHQ, whoever, AT&T, they could do this. Okay. All those, all those evil government organizations. Um, the, you know, they, they, they could just switch it up without you even knowing. And they turned your headphones into, you know, into a microphone and they're listening in. Uh, so now understand that as best as I can tell, as best as I know about this, and I, I read over, you know, you know, about this exploit, um, this cannot, this is really only going to work on windows because, you know, Mac doesn't use real tech as far as I understand it. You know, they, they've got all their, you know, their very tightly knit hardware and software situation going with OS 10 good for, you know, Mac OS, I should say good for them. Um, and then, you know, with Linux, they use Ulsa, right? So really it's only windows that this is an issue for. Uh, so, you know, keep that in mind. I mean, it, it definitely goes, you know, go to, definitely what it really says is that, wow, if you want serious security, that's, that's not really the direction you want to go. Um, unless, you know, you're not using the real tech drivers, but then what stops them from doing it with like, say, if you have a, you know, if you have a sound blaster, what do they call it? Xi-Fi, the XIFI cards or whatever. Uh, you know, what stops them from just getting into that software and doing the same fucking thing? Probably not much. So that it's, it, 
you know, it's something to, yeah, it's a, it's a possibility. And really all you want to do is just be fucking conscious of, you know, of exactly, you know, I mean, depending on what your situation is, if you're in one of those like really critical moments, say as an activist or something like that, and we love activists on Sovereign Tech, okay, uh, you know, pay attention to your headphones. There you go. <laughs> like that, that's really all you can do, you know, and, and well, and if you're like, I mean, if you're a knee deep activist, like get the fuck away from windows, <laughs> all right? please. Um, so anyway, that, that's, there's that story. Now, I, also while we're on security, uh, you know, a company that I really appreciate, and actually this is kind of interesting because this was, this was started by a, uh, a Russian gentleman who I actually appreciate quite a bit. Uh, and that is Telegram. Now, Telegram was started, and, and hear me out, okay, because I can already hear the Sovereign Tech listeners saying, but what about the encryption, NT-Protos, fucking, that's a terrible protocol. I, I get it. Hey, I get it. Listen to me. Okay, so Pavel Durov, all right, the man in triple black of the East. I'm the man in the triple black of, well, I don't identify with the West, but you get what I mean, okay, because he's always wearing black, and he's an anarchist. He's a full-on anarchist. He's the real fucking deal, okay? He started Telegram from his personal fortune, and this guy is worth millions and millions after starting the the Facebook of the East, that being VK or Vikanka, whatever the hell it was called, uh, but VK.com, okay? Um, you know, he started that. He got kicked out by the board, and he went off to start his own company, Telegram, which was designed to be this, you know, very, you know, the secure messaging platform. Security aside, okay, I still appreciate, and I, I have more to tell because he released a new platform as well. Okay. Security aside, understand this. Telegram, you know, okay, it's not secure. Fine. Neither is Facebook. Neither is Twitter. Neither is a bunch of this other shit. All right. Not really. So, you know, but is it a great anarchist run and operated? No ads, all that shit. Is it an alternative social media platform? You bet your fucking ass it is. And so I, I think it's a fine and dandy thing to use. Just don't, you know, unless, you even, unless you're doing the secret chats, and even that's questionable because it's storing stuff in plain text on your device, okay? Uh, you know, unless you're doing that, I mean, don't trust it with your life. But for shit's sake, I don't have any problem with people using it. Go ahead. It's an amazing platform. And they keep adding on new features. I mean, it is non-goddamn stop with the amount of features that they put out on this thing. You know, especially the Android app. And then also, you know, they have the great desktop apps for every operating system, including Linux. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's a phenomenal platform. It's a platform. Okay. You don't have to trust it any more than you trust Facebook or Twitter, but it is a fucking platform. Woo. I, you, you can't believe how, oh man, I get, I get so bothered by like people that are like, you're recommending Telegram. No, I'm saying, look, if you want to do encrypted communications, you use Signal. Okay. Or maybe rock out tour chat or something, but for fuck's sake, you know, if you want to get on a platform that is really feature rich and can allow for interaction, has great group messaging and a bunch of other, you know, very interesting features. Yes. Use telegram. And you know, it's run by an anarchist that, you know, that should count for something. So, I mean, and, and, and if anything, like all of these other platforms you talk about, how many government requests have those have platforms like that responded to? Probably close to hundred percent. As to where Telegram has across the board told the government, get the fuck out of my face. Now there's some question about something that happened in Iran. I understand that. Okay, but again, I'm not saying use this as an encrypted platform. Okay. Uh, you know, but it's a platform to definitely, you know, to work with people on. If you want encryption, you go with signal and and you know, and the conversation stops. Okay, as as far as that goes. Anyway, so now Telegram has come out with 
interestingly, kind of an kind of the anti-medium. Medium is in the, the the blogging platform, uh, it, it, but it's it's a blogging platform <laughs> more or less, and it's called Telegraph. Okay, now the link is in the show notes for episode uh, two two hundred one. Okay, and it's it's just Telegra as in T E L E G R A dot ph. That's the URL that'll take you there. Now, how Telegraph works, and this is where things get a little little interesting. Okay, <laughs> uh, Telegraph isn't it's it looks like it's trying to be kind of decentralized, okay, because you can only, you know, the only way you have access, and this is where things get problematic, the only way you have access to to any of, say, like the blogs that you wrote up on Telegraph is by, you, you have to have the cookie saved in your browser as well as the link to that story. Okay, it's not like there's some grand directory to go with. So this is, and I can see the, per, I mean, there's a use case for this sort of thing. There really is. You know, so it's not very editable. That could be considered a good thing, okay? Because once you lose the cookies, it's gone. And I imagine they actually don't want you to even hold on to the cookies to edit. Because, you know, th- they probably had set this up for, say, like activists and whoever else. They probably set this up to where once it's up there, it can't be changed. Like that was the whole purpose of it is to not be changed, you know, for it to be somewhat immutable. Okay. Now maybe they'll, maybe they will change their mind on how that all works in the future. But as it stands right now, that's, that's the way that it functions. Okay. And, and you can, you know, as long as people have that link, you can share it all over the place and, you know, it'll stay, you know, up and out there forever. I mean, obviously it's still to some degree as, as we can tell, it seems to be server based. Okay. But it's trying not to be like one big curated platform, more like medium. That's why I kind of called it the, the anti-medium. So the use case I can imagine this for is if like, well, frankly, and I'm not saying he should do he, she, or it, or they should do this. Okay. I'm not saying this was the, this is the platform I'd recommend to do this on, but if say Satoshi Nakamoto wanted to, uh, send out a message to the world. Now there'd be problems because, you know, how would you verify that it is such and such person, uh, or thing, but whatever, if you wanted to do that, you could use Telegraph and it could be up there and, you know, potentially, you know, if you're doing everything right, you know, on, on your, on client, you know, client side on your computer, you know, on your machine, you could have it be a relatively anonymous message that is up there and up there for all time. And that nobody, theoretically, nobody could edit. So that's interesting that there is a value to that in my opinion. Okay. So I, you know, I, I can, I can see it. And if they are, you know, if Telegram is looking to, to work with say activists, whistleblowers and other people like that, all the more, all the better. Great. Good on you. Nice work. So Telegraph is an interesting platform. Just understand like this isn't, I wouldn't go building a business on this. <laughs> okay. It's where like, say with medium where you have full editing control, you can even like name your paper. You can do all this other wild stuff. And I don't have any problem with people using medium, frankly. Um, I use it. I, I, I think it's a very interesting platform. Um, but you know, it, again, don't build a business on telegraph, but you might find it very useful to, uh, to, to do this sort of thing. And it's not like, I kind of wish they would come out with an editable one that, that could just be like the secure scratch pad. And there's, there's already services that exist like this to where you have effectively a notepad in the cloud that perhaps only you could access. Uh, maybe they'll get to that point. Maybe this is kind of a trial run before they add on more features, because if telegram, the app itself is any, uh, indication of what Telegram, the company does, they roll out features fast as shit and they are innovative. They, I mean, most understand that, you know, most of the messaging services that you think of, 
like say Facebook Messenger or even Twitter or uh, I don't know, Viber. I mean, a bunch of these different ones that you think of. They are all pretty much copying two companies that are the actual innovators, that being Telegram and Line. Line is the one that's very, you know, very popular in Japan and some of Southeast Asia. Okay. Everybody's copying those guys. They're, they're, they are like two years ahead of every other service out there. Okay. Uh, so, you know, maybe who knows what telegraph will turn into. Maybe it won't just be this, you know, you know, quasi or pseudonymous or quasi anonymous, um, you know, or quasi centralized, <laughs> decentralized, uh, uh, you know, blogging platform. So I, I thought that that was, uh, that was interesting. Um, anyway, let's get on to a couple other things before we get into our main story, uh, for this week. Uh, speaking of Twitter, Twitter, they, and, and I don't exactly get this, uh, because Twitter, you know, some people, the claims are going around and, and, and I think evidence is, you know, kind of points in this direction, um, that Twitter isn't going to survive 2016. You know, I think, frankly, let me say this about Twitter. So they add a new feature. I'll talk about the feature in a second. Okay. I, I'm to the point to where if no company is actually going to buy Twitter, which I still think Microsoft might, if no company is going to buy Twitter, I could imagine the U S government turning it into a public service, like turning it into kind of that French internet. Um, what was it called? Not, not, not Alcatel. That's a, that's a phone company. Something tell, I, I forget there was, and at some point we'll get into it in the, I, I actually plan on covering it during um, tech history, our tech history segment in the future. Uh, but there was a, there was a, like a totally French government run internet and it being government run, it had all the problems that you can imagine, but I could imagine Twitter becoming, you know, effectively dumb communication pipes, uh, for, you know, because I mean, especially just look, you know, just look at, at how much even politicians are using Twitter. I mean, it's such, it's such an aspect of the cultural, societal, and political narrative now that I don't know. I mean, yeah, the company may not survive, but the, the, the implementation, the technology, the site itself, I think is, may well be here to stay. So anyway, think of that what you will. And if it becomes government run, yes, there are a lot of implications as far as security and other things to go with that. No doubt about it. Uh, but you know, I mean, it's a possibility. I'm not saying I predict that. I'm just saying that I could see that happening if there are no suitors, uh, for this company in the near future. Uh, so, but they are still rolling out impressively as much trouble as they're in. They are still rolling out new features. The one that that's, uh, that's, not very interesting. They're copying Snapchat or snap. The company's just called snap now. Uh, they released where you could have QR codes, your, um, you know, like your profile picture could just be, could be a QR code kind of like Snapchat where there's like a little, perhaps a little picture of you or a little icon or something of you're choosing. And then it's a QR code and people can scan the QR code and then they can find you, you know, on Twitter. It'll, it'll take you to the Twitter site. Now this is interesting. And I might actually, because Twitter is really the only social network that I genuinely get a lot of traction on, um, I might end up, you know, just changing my, my icons to that, you know, kind of across the board. It'll take it right to Twitter. Good. Because everything I ever release, you find out about on Twitter. So it's a great place to follow. Um, so I, I thought that that was, that was kind of an interesting feature. Now they did start releasing what they are calling, uh, anti-abuse features. Like there is a mute button, uh, for certain subjects, hashtags, uh, people and all this. To some degree, I'm glad Twitter is addressing a lot of this stuff. Uh, I don't know that I agree with all their implementations. And in fact, really, there's a whole lot that we could talk about with Twitter, uh, particularly with them uh, banning a lot of accounts from people in the alt-right, uh, which, 
<sighs> Don't get me started. <laughs> I think the alt right is a very, a very genuine concern. Um, and well, anyway, like I said, don't get me started. Um, yeah, so Twitter's got that. There's QR codes now. Feel free to use them as, as you see fit. You, you have to, I think you can only, I don't think you can access them through, through the webpage. You have to use the app, uh, to find them. Um, but then, you know, it's right in like the settings and, and it'll say QR code, you know, when you pull over that left drawer on the app. Uh, but anyway, just a, you know, an interesting thing. And if you happen to see it used on, on various, you know, sovereign tech, quote unquote properties, um, you'll know what it is. It's, it's, it's for Twitter. So, uh, one other little bit of, uh, well, two more, two more interesting bits. And then we, I promise we will get into the main story. Uh, this was cool. Tune in radio. So this is a platform also while we're talking about platforms, uh, that I love. I really, really like tune in radio. Um, I've been using it for years Years and years and years. In fact, I bought, <laughs> I bought the, uh, the TuneIn Ra- uh, Pro app, the TuneIn Radio Pro app. Now you have to pay like $15. Not that that's necessarily a lot of money for an app it is. Okay. Uh, but I bought that back when it was only like two bucks, you know, and why they charge 15 bucks for it. You don't get any extra features whatsoever, including this new feature that I think is interesting. It comes with the free app. I mean, I get it because they want people to really be seeing the ads because that allows for their continued success because only so many people can really buy an app. Right. So, <laughs> so if you don't want those ads, you gotta, you gotta hash out the money for it. But anyway, uh, I've been using TuneIn radio forever. It's a wonderful tool. There's lots of people that, you know, especially if you are more of an activist type, there are lots of people that, that, that will like push, uh, say like police scanner channels onto tune in radio so that you can listen to it from your smartphone and all this. I mean, just very interesting things that could be done with tune in radio. Uh, I, I love it. It is what radio really should be. And now, especially more so because it's also a popular platform for podcasts, uh, as well as radio networks in general and all this, like, uh, LRN.FM and some others that are some other affiliates that actually carry sovereign tech. Um, they all have tune in, uh, stations. They have, you know, they have other platforms as well, but they all use tune in. Um, there's a sovereign tech tune in it's in the show notes for every show. You, you can find it, uh, even on sovereigntech.com. You can easily find it there. It's wonderful. Now, the one thing that, that it really didn't have before and now it has, this is the new feature is um, it allows for offline playback. It allows for you to download episodes of podcasts. Okay. And this is a great feature to add on. Um, and TuneIn's been trying a lot of things for the past couple of years. And I've talked about them here and there because I love the platform so much. Uh, they, they, like they've had where they were trying to build in sort of a social media feature, which SoundCloud was kind of ahead of the game on them for that. But anyway, they have that social media feature built in. They've got this going on now. I think the offline media playback is a huge, huge deal, uh, you know, for people to take advantage of. Um, I, I love it. You know, it's, it's like if it's not already on the phone, it is one of like maybe the top five apps that I install right away. Uh, because there's so much great shit on it. Even like the music, I listen to so much of the music on there. Like I'll listen to some drum and bass on there. Uh, they have some great channels for that. Uh, I'll listen to, they have an awesome, they have soundtracks.com's stream on there. That is amazing. In fact, I have a lot of fun with that because I, if there's one kind of music, I know woo, <laughs> it's soundtracks and I get to, cause I listen to them all the time and I get to, uh, I know you thought I just listened to metal nonstop actually, <laughs> If soundtracks were, were an actual genre, <laughs> right? Like I'd be a soundtrack head instead of a, a, you know, soundtrack head instead of a metal head, I guess. But 
Anyway, it'll be fun because, like, I will be able to tell just by, you know, we'll turn it on. Like, Stephanie and I will be listening to music. We'll turn on TuneIn Radio. And and I'll listen to the, you know, we'll put on soundtracks, uh, you, you know, the, the stream. And I'll, like, rattle off without even looking. I'll tell her what each one is, you know, as as it plays. And <laughs> it's so much fun. Uh, so, anyway, check that out. If you've never checked out the TuneIn app, maybe now's your chance. Uh, because it does allow you to download uh, podcasts on it. And there's a lot of great stuff that's actually unique to TuneIn that I think is worth, uh, well, somewhat unique to TuneIn. But perhaps it's not available in such a, in such a great platform anywhere else. Uh, you know, so jump on that. Uh, the other thing, just real quick, Skype. Skype now can be used as uh, without an actual Skype or Microsoft account. Now you can just use a link and jump on it. This is something that was popularized by Hangouts, by Google's Hangouts a few years ago, where you could just, you didn't need to have um, a Google account anymore. You could just get a link and then you could, you know, you could just log in and and you'd be there. So you can do that with Skype now. Uh, An interesting play, certainly designed to get more people using uh, Skype. And obviously this is really only possible now because of the fact that Skype has, as we just recently learned in the past year, that Skype has, you know, the problems with Skype over the past couple of years, two, three, four years have been that they were getting it away ever since Microsoft bought it. They were getting it away from a peer-to-peer model to a cloud-based model. So the ability to do this is certainly comes from that cloud-based uh, model, but it is definitely to get people more on board um, with using Skype. And, and this, you know, this could be actually a, a great tool because as I've said, like it or not, a lot of podcasts totally rely upon Skype for doing interviews or for having, you know, a bunch of different hosts that are, you know, in, in various remote, remote locations. Uh, so, and I know a lot of people that will not get a Skype account. Okay. Like a lot of activists and other people, you know, just people that are interested in privacy, they won't get a Skype account. Okay. So, but now through the website and through using just, you know, through a link that you send them, they could join Skype, uh, you know, and run it on just about anything that has a web browser. So this is definitely part of that plan to get everybody fucking using Skype. Uh, Really, if they want, of course, the direction Microsoft needs to go, if they want people to stop using Skype, or or not stop, but to start using Skype more, uh, they need to be looking at encryption, privacy, and addressing all of those concerns. Uh, That's that's really the direction they need to be taking it. Uh, Though, you know, these are certainly features that, that will put it a little bit of a cut above you know, is b- building in this ability for, you don't even need to have an account anymore. Uh, okay. Last, last foreplay story. And, and then, then we'll, we'll, we'll stop there. Uh, or, you know, we'll go into the main story, which we've got a doozy this week, but I want to tell you about one more website, click, click, click. That's three clicks. Okay. Click, click, click dot click. So technically four clicks, but there's a dot in the middle. So click, click, click dot click. Now this is, <laughs> I could do a whole section on this alone, but I won't, but I just want people to try it out. Okay. What it is, it is just a plain website. You go there, you know, it's like a white page and what'll ha- what it does is, is it has a ton of web APIs connected to it. Okay. That, that show you, you know, just a ton of JavaScript And what it'll do is, is that as you just, you know, do what you're doing on the site, whatever it happens to be, it will tell you what it knows about you. Like what, what it, you know, what it can figure out about you, like how slow, I mean, like it comes from what could be seemingly benign is how slow is your, your mouse to where are you right now? Perhaps what's your battery level at, you know, all these different things. And it should fucking creep you out. And this is the thing that, that, that people miss is that. 
you know, you hear about all these APIs. In fact, credit to, to W3C, they took out, um, or well, to, I guess to Mozilla, they took the battery, you know, the battery status API, they took it out of Firefox because they had put it in. We talked about this on Sovereign Tech, how that is a huge privacy concern. You wouldn't think it was, but it is. They took that out, thankfully. So anyway, that doesn't mean it's not still out there to some degree, but at least Firefox won't recognize it, but it can just show you how much just going to a website and things you don't even see on the website, what they're saying about you through all of the JavaScript and all the APIs that get plugged in. It is, it is an experiment on yourself to see. And just so you know, like just how much you're being tracked, you have no fucking idea how much you're being, well, I mean, you might have an idea if you listen to this show. Okay. I don't even have an idea how much, <laughs> well, I, I have an idea. Okay. Uh, but yeah. You get my point. You're going to see just how much these people can know about you just by going to their fucking website. It's crazy. I mean, it's really, really crazy. Let me guarantee you, you go to my website, zog.ninja. Okay. I have as little JavaScript as possible. In fact, if you have your ad blockers on and all that other stuff, you're going to see, I mean, there's like the SoundCloud player there and all that, but otherwise, you know, you're going to see, wow, there's, there's like nothing to block. Right. Because I, you know, I designed it that way. I want it to be that way. Oh man, the fucking, the modern web. God damn it. So check that out. Click, 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 dot, click, and find out just how much every website knows, or at least websites that want to have this know about you and be terrified. (laughs) Okay. But, but of course, solution is, you know, just use your ad blockers, you know, perhaps even use NoScript, even though it's very tough to navigate the modern internet, the modern web with running things like NoScript, but, you know, just know you know, what's the, what's the old saying from Dune? The first step in avoiding a trap is in knowing of its existence. Well, now you get to know of its existence when you, when you check out this website. Very, very interesting. Uh, the website itself isn't meant to be malicious. It's just meant to tell you, look, this is what people can know about you just by your mouse movements, just by the amount of time that you spend, you know, sitting on a website and things like this. I, I mean, it, it, it's creepy straight up. It's creepy, but there's solutions. So, and we described a few of those. Um, anyway, all right, enough, enough, enough. Let's get into to the main story. And this one is a doozy. So this story actually comes from, uh, well, really a new producer for, uh, for Sovereign Tech, uh, joining the ranks of the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy is of course the brilliant, the beautiful, and the sassy, woo, <laughs> uh, MK Lords, who has been a guest on the show in the past. And I've actually, well, you know, one of our holidays on this show is July 4th and baby, that ain't Independence Day. That's MK Lords Day straight up. We do it. We've been, we've been doing that for years on here. It's part of the official Sovereign Tech calendar. And she sent a story that, oh man, <laughs> this, this is something else. So anyway, thanks to producer MK for that. Uh, let's, let's read it here from uh, Jizmodo, as we started calling it on Sex and Science Hour. <laughs> Stephanie's labeled it that. I thought that was brilliant. So coming from, Jiz, from Jizmodo by Matt Novak, Edward Snowden is a fucking idiot. Yes, folks, that is the headline for the story. Can you believe it? Ooh, I mean, that, that says it all right there. But anyway, I don't agree with that assessment, but... <laughs> I, I think it gives you the tone of what this is about, but I want to break it down, okay, because this, this story actually got a lot of traction. Uh, so let's read it here. Today, Edward Snowden is, a, is wrong about almost everything. Yes, he's a patriot, and yes, I believe that what he did in 2013 to reveal dangerous elements of our surveillance state was important and commendable. But Snowden is completely oblivious to the challenges that we face as we move into the year 2017, a perilous fucking time for our country, to say the least. 
On Tuesday, I had the pleasure of attending the Real Future Fair in Oakland, which uh, featured some amazing speakers like Mae Jemison, uh, the first American woman of color in space. It was a fascinating conference, but there was one speaker that made me incredibly frustrated. Edward Snowden, who joined us in Oakland via teleconference robot from Russia. And I've come to the conclusion that he's promoting an idiotic worldview that's completely devoid of answers for how to effectively combat the threat that Donald Trump and his neo-fascist goons pose to our democracy. What got me so riled up, ooh, those are some big words. <laughs> what got me, of course, I'm an anarchist, I don't give a shit about the democracy. <laughs> anyway. Let's keep going. Uh, what got me so riled up about Snowden's talk? He firmly believes that technology is more important than policy as a way to protect our liberties. Snowden contends that, ooh, let me read that again. He firmly believes that technology is more important than policy as a way to protect our liberties. Woo! Snowden, you've been listening to Sovereign Tech, baby? Eddie, you got a download button? I'll hook you up. Snowden contends that he held this belief when Obama was in office, and he still believes this today, as Donald Trump is just two months away from entering the White House. But it doesn't make him right, no matter who's in office. Quote, this is a quote from Snowden, if you want to build a better future, you're going to have to do it yourself. Woo! Tell him, Eddie. All right, reading on. Politics will take us only so far. Woo! Stanley will tell you, it'll take you nowhere. Keep going, Eddie. And if history is any guide... There are the least effective means, they, they are the least effective means of seeing change we want to see, end quote, Snowden said on stage in Oakland from Russia, completely oblivious to how history might actually be used as a guide. Woo, actually, there is no obliviousness here. History as a guide shows us that politics, electoral politics, government, blah, 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 is the most lethal force, is the thing that does the most damage to the human condition and to humans in general, bar none. No murderer, no people, you know, nobody running around with an axe or anything has ever killed more people than government ever has. No one has done more harm to minorities, to genders, to go down the list of all the social problems that you can list off because a lot of them are very real. Okay, go down it and I guarantee you if you want to look at where did this problem, you know, who is exacerbating this problem, who is perpetuating the problem, and I guarantee you government's going to top that fucking list. Policy is the problem, Gizmodo. Reading on. Snowden spoke about how important it is for individuals to act in the name of liberty. He continually downplayed the role of policy in enacting change and trotted out some libertarian garbage woo, about laws being far less important than the encryption of electronic devices for the protection of freedoms around the world. Oh my. Quote, it's from Snowden, law is simply letters on a page. End quote, Snowden said. Woo, baby, now you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> did Snowden become an anarchist overnight and I didn't know about it? That's spot on. Yes, they are just words on a page. They mean nothing. This is the one thing that I've always said, the Golden Stallions always said, that I did, that I totally agree with, with, with George W. Bush about. The Constitution is just a goddamn piece of paper. You bet your goddamn ass it is. You are absolutely right. It is a piece of paper. Crumple that baby up. Light it on fire. Let Western civilization go with it. Woo! And let's get some real freedom. Man, yes, I can't believe this got said on a stage, even though he wasn't there, he was there via, you know, roving iPad, effectively. Reading on, it's a phrase that's still ringing in my ears as a shockingly obtuse rejection of civilized society and how real change happens in the world. Oh, oh Matt Novak, I'm so sorry. 
Oh, 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 it's terrible. You mean people don't accept the guns I point at them when I want something written down? <laughs> oh, please. The words are still ringing in your ears, Matt Novak, because they're true. Because you hate to think that, shit, goddammit, he's right. They are just words written down and nobody has to accept those. Where's the social contract shit? It's, that's a damned ethereal thing. It's not here. Oh, God! Ah! Reading on with the story. How do we advance the cause of liberty around the world? Encrypt your devices, according to Snowden? Okay, now what? Well, Snowden's tapped out of ideas if you get beyond use signal. The closest he got to advocating for anything involving policy change was when he told people they could donate to the Freedom of the Press Foundation, which it should probably be noted he currently works for. Imagine if advocates of human rights held the same worldview 50 years ago. What would the American civil rights movement have looked like in the 1950s and 60s if you didn't believe changes in policy mattered? If you truly think that laws... Oh, 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 oh. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> a lot of what the American, you know, with absolute respect, and I mean that because I, I've had personal friends that, that, honestly, that marched with Martin Luther King. They knew policy didn't really didn't matter. It was the show. It was the, you know, it was the, not the show, but the, what word to use? It was just, you know, just the solid, yeah, it was the show, you know, showing solidarity, but it was real. You know, it was the actions. It was, you know, people sitting in the bus. You know, I mean, all that. None of that was was policy. That's that's what made things start to change. When slavery, not to say that even, honestly, I think this is so out of context. This is a terrible example to give because I don't know that Edward Snowden was even like thinking about, you know, talking about things this way, you know, at, at that kind of level, at the level of the civil rights movement, which is incredibly serious. Okay, but do you know how things changed? How slavery went the way of the dodo? It wasn't through the Civil War. It wasn't, I mean, how did it go away in Europe? Because suddenly, like, it just went away, I mean, like, in almost no time. It was because it became distasteful by just individuals. Through education, through people saying, no, you know, this isn't right. Those, those, those people that just happen to have a different skin color, they're, they're no different than us. They're no different than us. That's how change happens. It happens through education. I'm kind of letting my, my cat out of the bag here. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, you know, policy, the pol- playing the political game, it's not going to do it for you. You just educate. I mean, and, and, and we've seen it historically where it, where it works. People just finally say, you know what? God damn it. This is wrong. Let me read on. Seriously, though, I think it's, it's horrendous. I think Matt Novak bringing up that example trivializes the very serious and, and just the incredible amount of, 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 of guts, the incredible amount of courage, the incredible courage, the incredible, um, you know, just, just humanity on display during the civil rights movement. I mean, you saw the ugly side too, but you saw some of the best. Reading on. If you truly think that laws are irrelevant and that securing your communications from government surveillance is the only force for liberty, then your biggest problem with the FBI's persecution of Martin Luther King Jr. Ridiculous that you brought that up. 
going on was that they tapped his phone lines. King's use of his phone was a means to an end, just as the FBI surveillance of King was a means to an end. The end, as far as civil rights leaders were concerned, was enacting policy. Shielding your communications from government surveillance is merely a tactic to allow you to operate and organize without government interference. Encryption doesn't fight against injustice all by its lonesome. What about the 1964 Civil Rights Act, a crowning achievement? I mean, he just goes on and on and on with this. I'm I'm going to skip ahead just for time. Um, If you earnestly put forward the idea that fighting for policy is somehow irrelevant and that laws are simply letters on a page, you have very little to offer modern society. You're surrendering to living in a fundamentally broken world and are ignoring the methods by which history actually evolves to meet the needs of a civilized society. Every time someone like Snowden says, quote unquote, encrypt your phone, our response must be, okay, now what do we do? And Snowden doesn't have an answer. Well, I I imagine Snowden does have some answers. But first off, you can't expect everybody to have all the answers for this shit. Matt Novak, you don't have all the answers. Okay, but I can give you some answers if you want them. Because that is the first thing I'll say is fucking encrypt your communications. And then we can talk about solutions, absolutely. But most people aren't even on board this far to where they're hiding or, you know, to where they're, they're keeping private that which is truly theirs and not the government's, but the government keeps on taking. Quote, technology works differently than the law. Technology knows no jurisdiction, end quote, Snowden said via video conference in Russia, seemingly oblivious to the fact that a change in policy would be necessary for his return to the United States, not stronger encryption of his communications. Eddie, don't come back. It's okay. Hang out in the rest of the world. Fuck, fuck the U.S., Reading on, this isn't the first time that I thought Snowden was leading Americans astray in the excellent documentary Citizen Four about Snowden's leaks and the immediate fallout. I thought he said some pretty idiotic things as well. Quote, I remember what the internet was like before it was being watched, end quote. Snowden said in the documentary, as a man in his early 30s, he's either lying or ignorant of history. Either one wouldn't surprise me at this point, to be honest. So, all right, here's, here's a huge issue. So he's quoting from that documentary. These were Edward Snowden's own words. Quote, I remember what the internet was like before it was being watched. But Edward Snowden was, I think he was born in 1984. He's only a couple years younger than me. And I was born in 1981. I know that. Okay. Guess what? Yes, you can remember what the internet was like before it was watched. He, he could have been there at 10 years old because, I mean, I remember, you know, I remember 95, 96 and all this. I mean, he would have, if he was born in 84, so he would have been 12. Perfect. I would have been like 13, 14. I wasn't that different between 12 and 14. I would have been doing the same goddamn thing on Prodigy as I did back then. Yes, you know, at the time, there wasn't this huge infrastructure where, okay, we're going to watch every goddamn thing on the internet. And you knew that. I mean, just read read the classics by cypherpunks, you know, and, and read a lot of those old forums and all that stuff. That's, it's an atrocious argument. He's not ignorant of history and he's not lying. Okay. There was a time where the internet was a very different thing because not everybody was on board with it. The internet was totally different pre 2003, really pre 2001 as well. Okay. It was incredibly, incredibly different there. Matt Novak, you're so full. You're full of shit, man. If you get to call Snowden an idiot, well, I'll tell you, you're full of crap. You're you're crafting an argument. You've, You've got a straw man going. Reading on, the internet has always been monitored by the state. It was created by the fucking U.S. military and has been monitored from day one. Okay, there's a little bit of truth to that. But it's not like now where, like, I'm pretty sure what Snowden was referencing was the fact that you have corporatism now where these companies were absolutely in bed. And, you know, like how Facebook will just hand over anything that, you know, that the U.S. government wants, any data, whatever. Okay, I mean, it's... 
you're really, you're really misunderstanding what this guy is saying. And I guarantee you, if you asked, if you, Matt Novak, actually got the chance to ask Snowden what next, he probably could give you some kind of an answer. I'm fairly certain. But anyway, let's read on. Surveillance of the internet wasn't invented after September 11, 2001, no matter how many people would like to believe that to be the case. No, largely it was the case. You are wrong. Reading on. Uh, no matter how many people, or yeah, to claim that there was this magical time when the internet was a frontier is a tragic misreading of history. No, you have the tragic misreading of history. Look into like the, even the early stories of where you had, you know, of, of very early ideas of internet money or read uh, 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 Peter Ludlow's book on cyber utopias and all that. I mean, there is just case after case after case. Much like the myths of the Wild West, there was no unpopulated frontier online. There were plenty of people there first. And in the case of the Internet, those people were part of the military and intelligence gathering community. They all quite literally built the Internet. Now, I, I will tell you, I mean, yes, absolutely, the U.S. government built uh, the Internet. And, but people didn't really, like, see the use in it. People didn't really want to jump on it, uh, honestly, until Yahoo and, like, Hotmail and some others figured out how to get advertising done on there. Otherwise, no, it really was the Wild West. I don't know where he's getting this from. <laughs> but anyway, not that it's profoundly, uh, or let, let's read a little bit more. In Oakland, Snowden also addressed his tweet from October, his tweet from October 21st, in which he said that, quote, there may never be a safer election in which to vote for a third option, end quote. Snowden told us that he more or less stands by his tweet and that anything else, quote, freezes us into a dynamic of you must always choose, choose between two bad options, end quote, which is a, quote, fundamentally un-American idea, end quote. This might be the, quote, glass has Glass, glass half full or glass half empty, end quote, for our times. People like Snowden subscribe, subscribe to the belief that the lesser of two evils is still evil. I subscribe to the belief that the lesser of two evils is still less evil. Well, yeah, that, that's ridiculous. So then you're still choosing evil. The, the logic still stands, Matt Novak. When you're talking about someone as dangerous to democracy as Donald Trump and the fucking knobs he's surrounding himself with who are more loyal than they are intelligent, these competing worldviews matter. That... Not that it's profoundly significant, but I should probably acknowledge again that I would that I believe Edward Snowden's leaks of classified national security information to journalists was a good thing. Whenever the government is conducting operations that infringe on our rights, it is always the right and proper thing for people to speak out against it. But Snowden's whistleblower activities are largely irrelevant to the opinions that he's spouting today, and I believe that almost everything I heard from him on stage in Oakland was truly idiotic. If you're looking for NSA docs about the surveillance state, Snowden is your man. If you're looking for guidance on how to make the world a, mo a more just place, we have to look elsewhere and listen to people who believe in the only thing that can possibly influence the world for the better. Radical changes in policies that touch the lives of everyone around the globe. Holy shit! This is the mentality that you are dealing with that's out there, you know, in the larger world. You know, once you step out of, and I recommend do, do so, <laughs> step out of your echo chamber. Once you step out of, say, maybe the libertarian or the, the anarchist, uh, you know, the liberty-minded echo chamber, um, this is what you're going to confront, is that th these people will, they will play the mental gymnastics where they'll say, but it's still less evil, instead of going so far as to say, yeah, but it's fucking evil. So, I'm glad, at least it seems that Matt is like, yeah, no, we should be encrypting our shit. Good. Okay, awesome. Uh, everybody encrypt everything. Great. All right. We're on, we're on board with that. 
So you've gotten back the right to have the ability perhaps to plan to, because how do you solve this? How do you get around this? You end run the fucking system. It's what we talk about all the time on Sovereign Tech, okay? You get your gray markets going or your black markets, whatever. You end run the whole goddamn thing. But you're not going to be able to do that if you don't step out from the surveillance state first. So Snowden's right. Now, that doesn't mean, and and I want to be super clear on this, that doesn't mean, like, look, technology is not going to solve every problem. It can't. It can only give you the tools to start working on the actual solutions. Technology is just the tool. In many ways, it's not really the solution itself. And I have a huge problem with this because, you know, how many people come up with, oh, look at this new blockchain technology. This will replace government. It's like, no, don't replace it. Just fucking get rid of the whole idea. The solutions, the real solution is education. Can technology enable that? You bet your ass. Do you need to be encrypting that stuff so that the government can't butt their, their, their dumb ass heads in, you know, and, and, and start fucking with perhaps what words end up on the screen? You bet your ass you better do that. That's just an example. But education is what solves this. Talking about this stuff is what solves this. But, you know, here's the thing, and we're going to get into this, actually, it, you know, this will segue nicely into the next segment, okay? Because there's, there's a subject I, I want to bring up. Because if you don't have encrypted communications, because the, the point is, yes, we need to talk about this. We need to bring this stuff up. But here, the, here I'll bring it up right now. This is from the Belfast Telegraph in, in, you know, in the UK. Government surveillance stops people. This is the story. Sharing controversial opinions online, studies suggest. Knowing you're being watched, is the byline, knowing you're being watched online can have a chilling effect on democratic discourse, the study said. Okay, so if the solution is to be able to talk about these things, is the ability to educate each other about these things and figure these things out, well, guess what? According to this, I mean, I could read this whole story. Let's read it. But, but bottom line is, according to this story, and I think it's accurate, according to this research, People won't speak their minds. They won't share their strong and controversial opinions if they think they're being surveilled, if they think they're being watched. So yes, surveillance is incredibly important. If you want people to even begin to talk about the fact that we still have an incredibly racist society, if you want people to begin to talk about the fact that, hey, maybe women are getting treated like shit, you know, and men are too, and, you know, and all of this stuff, right? If you want people to even be able to talk about it, they need to not be surveilled to be able to get to the bottom of it all, to be able to get at the roots. Matt Novak. I'm going to read a little bit here. Government surveillance of the internet may cause people to self-censor and avoid voicing controversial opinions, a new study has suggested. The study looks at how knowledge of surveillance can cause a chilling effect on democratic discourse online and paints a worrying picture of the future of free speech on the internet. For her research, Wayne State's University's uh, Elizabeth Stoichef Stoichef, looked through the lens of the quote-unquote spiral of silence theory, which describes the tendency of people to keep quiet when they think their views go against those the majority. Woo. And I hope I'm describing how our views, like Matt Novak's the majority, Gizmodo is the majority. And how, how, how do our views stand in contrast? Well, they stand in contrast. 
The findings, reading on, were based on online surveys conducted by a group of participants which built up a profile of each by asking them questions about their media consumption, political views, and personality traits. During the survey, a random group of participants were selected to be given a message which primed, quote-unquote, them to perceive their online activity was being monitored by the U.S. government. After that, all participants were presented with a fictional Facebook post of a neutral news story about U.S. airstrikes against ISIS in Iraq. They were then asked about their willingness to express their opinions on the story how they thought other Americans felt about it, and whether they thought government surveillance of the Internet was justified. The results took in a variety of different factors relating to personality traits in different environments, but for the majority of participants, being primed with the surveillance reminder, uh, quote, significantly reduced the likelihood of speaking out in hostile opinion climates, end quote. The paper published in Journalism and Mass Communication Quarterly also noted that participants who were the most susceptible to conformist behavior were among the most ardent supporters of government surveillance policies. Believing themselves to have nothing to hide, they were found to be likely to express their opinions when they were in the majority and to keep quiet when they weren't. The publication of the paper comes, a time, comes at a time of discussion over the government's investigatory, investigatory powers bill, or the Snoopers Charter, which is in the UK, where that's going to be, that was actually going to be our, our next uh, story for HackSec. Okay, so like I said, this segues nicely, which would give the authorities new powers to look at internet users' records and demand tech companies remove encryption from their devices. Concluding the study, Stoichev writes, quote, this study shows surveillance can contribute to the silencing of minority views that provide the bedrock of democratic discourse, end quote. In her view, communications scholars and policymakers need to think more closely about how certain national security precautions could be affecting how citizens speak, interact, and look for new information. And when was this posted? Or when was this done up? This was just March earlier this year when the, the investigator or the snoopers charter in the UK uh, was, was going through. So you see, this is the thing. If you even want to talk about the actual solutions that Matt Novak's like, well, where's the solutions? Well, look, you're never going to get them if you don't encrypt your shit. So, step one. Then we'll do step two. Then we'll do step three. And we'll build in these solutions to the very real social problems that we have. You know, we'll start working on them. And with any luck... We won't get involved in policy because then they're just going to start listening again and then nobody's going to open their fucking mouths because of the, again, the, the sound of silence or the spiral of silence uh, theory. So, Gizmodo, while I agree we need to hear some real solutions outside of you signal, I'm totally on board with that, believe me. That is, in many ways, step one. All right. And I don't expect Edward Snowden to have those solutions. It's not a problem that he doesn't have answers to those solutions. He's not God. There is no God. I'm an atheist. But do you get my point? I don't want one person to know it all, to have it all figured out. Life's too complex for that. Nobody could do that. So shut up. Now, no, you know what? Actually, say whatever the hell you want. Just know that People will rebut you peacefully. Imagine that. No need for guns to argue against your points as to where you're ready to break out the guns because you want policy, baby, and you're ready to point the guns at whoever doesn't agree with you and, and what you think needs to get done. Bunch of narcissists. Let's go to the wire. Let's go to Wired, okay? The, the UK version of Wired because, the, you know, that's who it's going to affect. So I, you know, I, I appreciate their perspective on perhaps what this whole snoopers charter means. So we're going to go into HackSec. Before I go into that, let me tell you something. Okay. I want to tell you about a sponsor real quick. Agoristhosting.com. 
you know, we're talking about the need for, for having control of your data, for, you know, encryption, all these things, having technologies that end run the government. This is one of those steps, baby. Agoristhosting.com. You want to go check them out. You go there. What are you going to find? You're not just going to find great, you know, hosting for say WordPress or, you know, whatever things you want to do, you know, web hosting you want to do, uh, you know, for, with your website. You're going to find, I mean, first off, these people care about activists. They're marketing to activists. They want to reach out to activists. They want to reach out to Liberty people of all stripes. They want, they want you there. Okay. And they are big on crypto. Okay. That's another thing to do. It's not just use signal. How about use Bitcoin while you're at it? Have money that no government controls. Woo. Now we're talking. They are absolutely a Bitcoin preferred business. They're ready to work with crypto. They have, I mean, like their, their entire business philosophy okay, is actually built around the crypto space. It is built around, in many ways, built around Bitcoin. Like they wanted to do this with Bitcoin in mind. They didn't, they're not like, oh yeah, 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 well, we'll implement Coinbase or something. No, 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 no. They're like, no, we'll do this right. We'll do it ourselves. And it's all going to be, you know, Bitcoin's going to be part of the back end. And then even better, you know, how about, okay, so I got Bitcoin. How do I get some shit that I want? Well, how about you use the, you know, kind of the, one of the real uh, implementations of uh, you, you know, of, of, of the free market that's out there. Use Open Bazaar, right? Love Open Bazaar. What an interesting idea. Okay. So you jump on Open Bazaar. Now here's the thing. Open Bazaar might not be the best thing. You know, uh, you know, you might have to be really technically minded to get selling your wares and whatever else onto Open Bazaar. Agrishosting.com has you hooked up. All right. They make the process so simple. They, they handle so much of the technical aspects of things and they keep an eye. They do backups of everything. I mean, this is, if you want to start running an Open Bazaar store, Believe me, look at what they're offering you. They, they are, they are automating so much of the process. They're doing it right. They're giving you a better open bazaar experience than open bazaar can give you. Seriously. They're the ones doing it. They have bicontinental backups, agrishosting.com. They're the real fucking deal. And they are serving some of the, you know, talk about people that get out there and educate like antiwar.com, a bunch of others. I mean, whoever else, uh, you know, a lot of sites that do a lot of educating. They are the back end. For them, in a lot of the, for, for some of the, you know, especially some of these other guys, I mean, I, you know, they're, they're, believe me, they're being very generous with them. This is the web hosting company you want to be using. Okay. And the customer service is absolutely phenomenal, but they offer things no other web host is going to dream of. You know, I mean, I could go down the list and believe me, the, the list is greater for agoristhosting.com, uh, you know, in so many ways. All right. So go to agoristhosting.com and check that out. Very, very important. If you want to get the crypto economy, if you want to get the crypto space built up so that we can get to those real solutions that people seem to want so bad, that I want certainly want so bad, support businesses like this that are on board with these ideas, that understand the importance of these things. And agrishosting.com is one of them. All right, let's get back into some sovereign tech here. And we, we don't have to spend a whole ton of time on this, but it's important to bring it up that it's out there, okay? Because a lot of these solutions, a lot of, you know, why why this is so important, we already, you know, we already covered a lot of it. Um, this is from Wired in the UK. Snoopers Charter is set to become law. How the Investigatory Powers Bill Will Affect You by Matt Burgess. The investigatory powers bill has been passed by both houses of parliament, by both houses of parliament. Once it receives royal assent, it will be, become law. <laughs> oh, I, I could stop right there. <laughs> so royal, uh, <laughs> royal assent. <laughs> I mean, that effectively means does the queen think it's okay 
maybe let me check the year. I'm sorry. Let me look at my watch. 2016. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost 2017 and we're still asking the goddamn queen if we can have encryption. If we, if we, you know, whether or not we should be spied upon, we're asking a monarch. What happened? <laughs> Where did it all go wrong? <laughs> Though some days I'll admit, I think maybe the queen would do a better job than as far as running the, the, the Americas again. Oh, uh, <laughs> anyway. So, I mean, so let, let's be clear that what we're about to talk about, the Snoopers Charter, has, has already gone through the bulk of the legwork that's required, okay, uh, you know, for, for it to pass. And so there's a lot of people who seem to think, yep, no, this is A-OK. So let's talk about what exactly do they think is A-OK in Parliament. Uh, after more than 12 months of debate reading here, jostling and, healthy, uh, jostling and a healthy dose of criticism, the United Kingdom's new surveillance regime is set to become law. Both the House of Lords and House of Commons have now passed the Investigatory Powers Bill, the biggest overhaul of surveillance powers for more than a decade. Now the bill has been passed by both of these official bodies. Uh, it is almost law. Before it officially is adopted, however, it will need to receive royal assent, which is likely to be given before the end of 2016 to match the government's intentions and ahead of existing surveillance laws expiring. First introduced by then uh, Home Secretary Theresa May in November 2015, and then often referred to as the Snoopers Charter. The Home Office, uh, the department responsible for the law, has said the provisions listed within it are needed to help protect the country's national security and give more oversight than ever before. While civil rights groups and those in opposition to the powers say it is intrusive and draconian, uh, here is a reminder of what the legislation includes. Hacking power. For the first time, security services will be able to hack into computers, net, computers, networks, mobile devices, servers, and more under the proposed plans. The practice is known as equipment interference and is set out in Part 5, Chapter 2 of the IP Bill. This could include downloading data from a mobile phone that is stolen or left unattended, or software that tracks every keyboard letter pressed being installed on a laptop. Quote, more complex equipment interference operations may involve exploiting existing vulnerabilities in software in order to gain control of devices or networks to remotely extract material or monitor the user of the device. End quote. A draft code of conduct says the power will be available to police forces and intelligence services. Warrants must be issued for the hacking to take place. But of course, you think warrants don't get rubber stamped over in the UK like they do in the US? Of course they do. Now, I want to talk about this for one second, okay? This idea that they could just plop on software onto any device you have. Now, there is a bit of a theory. Some would call it a conspiracy theory, but, you know, given the fact that a bill of this nature is allowed to, you know, go anywhere other than the dumpster, uh, I would imagine that uh, that maybe this isn't so much a conspiracy. And the idea is there was, a, there was a law that, or, you know, yeah, there was a law that was passed a few years ago called RIPA, okay, R-I-P-A. And RIPA effectively allows that anybody that lands, and this is just for the UK, when you land in the UK, okay, uh, that you, and, and, and understand this, when you're going to Europe, most people, you know, all roads to Europe go to Heathrow, okay, Heathrow, you know, the London airport. So if you land in the UK, this isn't true if you landed in Germany or somewhere else, okay, but if you landed in the UK, you are by law, by RIPA, that's law in the UK, you are required to hand over any passwords to say, you know, like say you have a laptop, um, you know, that, that 
you're using like, you know, hard drive encryption of some kind, you know, you, you're required to hand over the password for that. You, if they ask you to, to unlock your device, you got to do it. And if you don't, guess what happens? And it has happened. You go to jail. And there's people who have, have like medical conditions that are literally dying in UK jails because when they landed in Heathrow, they wouldn't hand over. And this isn't a British citizens. These are, you know, people from all over the world. They would not hand over their passwords. Good on them, but God damn it. What a bunch of assholes. That being the government. So there's this theory that the reason that seemingly every flight at some point goes through Heathrow when you're trying to go to Europe from anywhere else in the world, or at least, you know, from like the U.S. in particular, I guess I should say, because obviously if you're coming from another direction, it'd be different. Uh, but that the reason, you know, is, is because if you go through Heathrow, if you go through the United Kingdom, you are going to hand over the keys to your kingdom. That being your laptop or your mobile device or whatever. And I, so I've been talking about that for years on Sovereign Tech. Uh, I, you know, I alerted about it pretty much when it first came out. And, you know, I said, look, you you bring a shitty ass laptop or something. Do do not bring your you know do not bring your digital goods with you to Heathrow. Don't you dare. Because you don't know what's going to happen. You may never get it back. Or now you know with the, with with the IP bill, shit could just get installed on your. I mean, because they can. They could just no. Give us your device. Yes. Give us your password. You need to unlock it, and then they can put shit on your computer. I don't know how much you're going to go to Europe now. Hmm. <laughs> At least not without planning well ahead. I mean, and there's ways to do this. There's ways to get around that. I, I mean, you could say, well, if it's in the cloud, then somebody's looking at it. Okay, I understand that aspect. Uh, but, you know, there's ways to encrypt in the cloud. And the idea would be to encrypt your shit in the cloud and then, you know, delete, you know, wipe your machine when you're going to Europe for a few days. Um, and then, you know, just just download it all there when once you once you get past you know once you get past uh, the authorities so that you know that's one way around that but anyway let's read some more of uh, of of what what exactly the ip bill allows for bulk hacking for those not living in the uk but who have come to the attention of the security agencies the potential to be hacked increases Ooh. bulk equipment interference chapter 3 of the ip bill allows for large scale hacks in quote unquote large operations data can be gathered from a large number of devices in the specified location a draft code of practice says a foreign region although it does not give a size where terrorism is suspected but and could be targeted for for instance as a result it is likely the data of innocent people would be gathered. Security and intelligence agencies must apply for a warrant from the Secretary of State, and these groups are the only people who can complete bulk hacks. Commissioners, to help oversee the new powers, the Home Office is introducing new roles to approve warrants and handle issues that arise from the new powers. The Investigatory Powers Commissioner, or the IPC, and Judicial Commissioners, Part 8, Chapter 1 of the IP Bill, will be appointed by Theresa May, or whoever the serving Prime Minister is at the time. The IPC will be uh, a senior judge and be supported by other high court judges. Quote, the IPC will audit compliance and undertake investigations, end quote, the government says. Quote, the commissioner will report publicly and make recommendations on what he finds in the course of his work, end quote. Guidance in the original bill says, quote, he will also publish guidance when it is required on the proper use of investigatory powers, end quote. And when is the proper use? Well, fuck, it's all the time. And people in the country know this. <laughs> I mean, I've talked to friends in Britain, like they, they know the score that this is going to get abused writ large. You think this IPC, this, this commissioner is going to stop anything? Oh, give me a fucking break. 
Here's a, here's one of the one of the real doozies, and then maybe we'll move on. Web records under the IP bill, security services and police forces will be able to access communications data when it is needed to help their investigations. This means internet history data. Uh, internet connection records in official speak will have to be stored for 12 months. Communication service providers, which include everything from internet companies and messenger services to postal services, will have to store metadata about the communications made through their services. The who, what, when, and where will have to be stored. This will mean your internet service provider stores that you visited wired.co.uk to read this article on this day at this time and where from, i.e. a mobile device. This will be done for every website visited for a year. Web records and communications data is detailed under Chapter 3, Part 3 of the law, and warrants are required for the data to be accessed. A draft code of practice details uh, more information on communications data. And I mean, and there's more. Like, th- there's tons. And as far as, like, uh, like the amount of uh, um, <sighs> alphabet soup organizations, government organizations that are allowed to access, if you go to episode uh, 190, or two, sorry, I've been saying that too long. If you go to episode 201 of Sovereign Tech, if you go to the show notes, you can find the complete list. It's everybody. Metropolitan Police Force, City of London, London Police Force, all the police forces, the Home Office, Ministry of Justice, National Crime Agency, HM uh, Revenue and Customs, Department for Transport. I mean, it, it's it's a laundry list of, uh, of of organizations, government organizations, that will get access to everything you've ever done for a year and more. Now, you can say, well, hey, GCHQ and, of course, in other countries, the NSA, whoever, you know, Five Eyes, uh, you know, whoever, that they've been doing this forever anyway. Yeah, but here's the thing. Now it's like official. Now it's fucking law. Now it's becoming, what's the, the worst thing? It's becoming normalized. That's what makes this so scary. Not that it wasn't happening before. Fuck, of course it was. But now it's like, now you have, you know, your representatives or whatever, you know, your people in the House of Lords, House of Commons and all this shit. Now they're like, oh, yeah, 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 no, we can do that. Sure. Why the fuck not? What is wrong with these maniacs? Yeah, that, I, this is already going on. This is going on across the board. But I mean, probably part of the reason that it's also being normalized, part of the reason that it's being brought into law, I imagine, is because there is so much fucking data that the government can't hide it all in their data centers anymore. So now, since it's, in, since it's law, they can reach out to, say, Amazon, Microsoft, and whoever else is powering half the server farms around the world, and they can say, you guys need to store our shit, and don't you tell anybody. That's... Probably why it's getting put, you know, officially into law as well as to, again, normalize it, saying, oh, yeah, well, fuck, this law's been here for 10, you know, I mean, for the next generation to, to grow up. You know, well, the law's been there for 20 years and everything's just fine and dandy. What are you worried about? Your human liberties? What the fuck are those? Right? Yeah, it's disturbing. It's disturbing. I mean, that this, that this passed. Uh, I mean, in some ways so quickly. Yeah, I'd been working, being... It was being worked on for, you know, two years. Uh, I guess they had to wait for the Snowden revelations to, you know, kind of wear thin. And then they were okay with talking about it. (sighs) For fuck's sake. Anyway, um, let's shake it up. Let's change things up. (laughs) And I need to have a little bit of a drink here. Mm. Uh, (laughs) So, (laughs) always non-alcoholic, baby. Uh, (laughs) But, uh. 
Yeah. So before we do that, though, I do want to say something that if you want to get your hands, if you want to store your wealth in ways, perhaps that's not in the cloud, this is the anti-cloud version of good old cold storage, baby. And this is, you want to talk some, something that's been around for a good long while. This is what you want. Go to Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. And what are you going to do when you go there? You're going to go to the website, gold.zog.ninja. Okay. Or you can go to rrbi.co, but just let them know the golden stallion sent you because you're going to get some gold. Woo! You're going to get some gold, some silver, some platinum, palladium for incredible prices. You're going to get them fast too. Believe me, if you're worried, you know, they'll get it to you. <laughs> okay. If you think that something's going to happen tomorrow, I mean, th- they will hook you up. I'm not saying they can always get it to you that quickly, but I've seen them. <laughs> I've seen them do orders next day <laughs> without get, without you know the person asking. It's incredible. This is one of the best businesses in the world. I say it every week, but it is so true. Uh, and I cannot, you know, I, I really I can't appreciate them more for uh, for being a sponsor of Sovereign Tech. So I mean, you got this great package. You can get some good old fashioned cold storage, okay, with with Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. You can get that gold and get that silver, platinum, palladium coins, whatever, okay. You got, you know, another great sponsor, agrishosting.com, that they can help you set up your store and all this stuff. I mean, just wild shit that can go down, okay? You want to be getting them for your website. You want, to, you want to be storing your wealth. You want to diversify your wealth, okay? You want to diversify your value. Get your hands on that gold and silver through Roberts and Roberts Brokerage, and you'll have your total hookup, okay? This is a business that's been around for some years, okay? And the guy that runs it, you want to talk about somebody that gives a shit about liberty? There are a few people, I think, that give more of a shit about liberty than Tim Fry. He is the man. Okay. He cares. He cares a whole hell of a lot. He's been a guest on this show. He's a listener of this show. He is on top of things. He knows what's going down. Okay. Smart guy. So you want to deal with him, Roberts and Roberts brokerage. All right. And let, just let him know the golden stallion sent you hell. They'll even buy from you. If you've got your own precious metals, go for it. But remember they're Bitcoin preferred. You got to love that. You can buy with Bitcoin. Tim loves Bitcoin. He loves the crypto economy, loves the crypto space, loves cryptocurrencies. Use them. Get your hands on this stuff. Diversify. Check it out. Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. Just go to gold.zog.ninja. All right. Let's, uh, let, let's move on to another story here. See, I mean, there's a real solution, right? Diversify, you know, get, build up some wealth and all this. I think that's a, that's a damn great idea. Uh, so let's get into, you know what I'm actually going to do? I'm going to skip the, the tech history segment this week. We'll get into it next week. Believe me, that's, I'm going to have so much fun doing tech history where I cover, you know, various historical aspects of tech, uh, you know, modern, not so modern, hundred years ago and even ancient, uh, that, uh, you know, I'm probably going to run that segment for a lot longer than just 25 episodes. So don't worry. We'll, we'll get into that quite a bit. Um, but I do want to talk about this story. So we are now moving into the next segment, which is internet of targets, where we talk about the internet of things, the terrible, the atrocious, uh, subcategory market subcategory of the internet of things. That is just a bad idea out of the get go. If you didn't know that I already felt that way. Now you fucking know. Okay. You should know when I call the internet of targets, because I'm telling you, this is a problem. I love the, I love the, the, the phrase that, um, <laughs> what does the S in IOT stand for? Stands for security, but there's no S in IOT. <laughs> That's still the best line. <laughs> so anyway, I want to talk a little bit about this. Um, and this is coming from Boing Boing, uh, actually written by Cory Doctorow. Woo. Um, a light bulb worm could take over every smart light in a city in minutes. Oh, baby. All right, here, we'll read it. Um, 
Researchers from uh, Dalehouse University in Canada and the Wiseman Institute of Science in Israel, I've been there, uh, have published a working paper detailing a proof of concept attack on smart light bulbs that allows them to wirelessly take over the bulbs from up to 400 meters, write a new operating system to them, and then cause the infected bulbs to spread the attack to all the vulnerable bulbs in reach until an entire city is infected. So it's like dominoes. It's just, you know, they're going to rewrite the firmware effectively on these bulbs and then boom, 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 takes them all out. Uh, so let's read on. The researchers demonstrate attacking bulbs by drone or ground station. The demo attacks uh, Phillips, or the demo, as in you know, what they demonstrated, attacks Philips Hue light bulbs, the most popular smart lighting system in the market today. Philips Hue use Zigbee for networking. Zigbee is a wireless protocol designed for low-powered Internet of Things devices, and it has many built-in security features. The most important of these is that once a device is initialized as part of a Zigbee network, it can be hijacked onto a rival network, or it can't be hijacked onto a rival network unless you can bring a controller into close proximity to it, a couple centimeters away. However, there is a fatal flaw in the Zigbee implementation in the Hue system, and the researchers showed that they could hijack the bulbs from nearly half a kilometer away. This attack is only possible because Zigbee doesn't encrypt all traffic between devices. Uh, the Hue system also has safeguards to prevent malicious tampering. Uh, updates have to be cryptographically signed using a very strong algorithm, or they will be rejected by Hue systems. The researchers were easily able to extract the signing keys, which are the same for all Philips Zigbee products, so they're not randomly generated, perhaps as they should be, stallion breaking in there, uh, and use them to sign their own malicious updates. Thus armed, the researchers were able to take over any Philips Hue system. Now, stallion breaking in for a second. So Zigbee is a kind of a new protocol, and not every router has it, which is probably a good thing, <laughs> because that means people can't get hooking all this shit up. Um, but yeah, I mean, e even then, it, it's a protocol, it, as far as I know, it was not devised by, say, you know, some of the, like, maybe like the big four tech companies, okay? Uh, so this is, I mean, not that you can't come up with a great idea independently, uh, but, you know, there's there's a real battle right now, and I guess this is my point, is there's a real battle right now as far as what the actual protocol for IoT is going to be. It hasn't really been figured out. Now, for any new cat, any new device category, this sort of thing is, I mean, this is growing pains. This happens. Okay. But at the same time, you know, even if you wanted to write off a lot of the problems with IOT right now, you're, you're still ignoring some of the, like the base issues with IOT itself. Okay. And security is a huge part of that. All right. Uh, so, you know, I mean, like the fact that well, a lot of the, I mean, one of the, one of the big issues that people are missing is that this stuff is supposed to replace things in your home, things in your home that you're used to only replacing, you know, I mean, even light bulbs now, light bulb technology is phenomenal. What do they last five, 10 years? You know, if, if not, not, I'm not saying CFLs are a great thing. I think I, you know, that's, that's a whole other story. If you want to talk about lights, but just things in general, like, you know, you, you generally don't replace devices uh, very often that IOT works or that IOT is being developed for, but the companies themselves are used to relying upon sales of every year to every two years of, you know, major multi-hundred dollar devices uh, or less that, you know, you have, you have a real issue here with that. People will be keeping these things and they can't always be updating. I mean, like these Philips Hue bulbs. Okay, fine. So they run on, you know, however much those things cost. And I think they're, I forget how many tens of dollars they are a pop. Okay. But they connect to, um, you know, they'll connect to a router through Zigbee or whatever. Okay. 
So what happens when Zigbee is no longer the big deal of a protocol? Well, I mean, then you have this issue right here, you know, and especially like say if governments did set up their entire cities with like some kind of Philips Hue technology, but then a whole new protocol, uh, you know, came out and everything else was left in the dust. I mean, you'd have to, I mean, and this is true. This happens with governments particularly where there, you know, there's some government, uh, uh, in the U.S., there's some government installations that are still using like five inch floppy disks. Really? And they're paying out of their ass for companies to develop these five inch floppy disks for them because that is such obsolete technology. I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing as far as it being obsolete, but I'm just saying that that's how it is. And so there's a lot of perverse incentives that are going to come out of perhaps cities using this technology, you know, to make smart cities, right? Isn't that the big dream? I mean, you're going to run into a lot of problems here, uh, but I want to read some more of this story. So uh, let's see, the Hughes system also is safeguard. Yeah, no, read that. Okay. There are many ways that a hijacked Hughes system can be used to cause mischief. Zigbee uses the same radio spectrum as Wi-Fi, So a large mesh of compromised Zigbees could simply generate enough radio noise to jam all the Wi-Fi in a city. Attackers could also brick all the Hue devices citywide. They could use a kind of blinking Morse code to transmit data stolen from users' networks. They could even induce seizures in people with photosensitive epilepsy. Um, the fact that the attack targets uh, that the attack targets devices by Zigbee signals rather than over the internet means that it is virtually impossible to defend against through traditional traditional methods like firewalls. So understand what what Cory Doctorow is kind of like laying out here is that this is something that once you kind of take it over, it, you know, it, it's a domino effect that you can't stop because it's really not necessarily happening through the routers. It's happening through all these devices that communicate via, you know, via the Zigbee protocol. Okay. And then, yeah, I mean, you could shut down all the lights in the city or you could use IOT. And this is the thing that people miss is that you could use IOT to literally shut things down, to just jam everything, to dr- to jam, you know, commerce as we know it today, because folks, like it or not, it's largely done via the internet. And the internet is now largely, you know, devices are connected via Wi-Fi. So, I mean, th- this would be this would be some kind of attack, really, that could happen. Um, and this is the problem with having so many, I mean, this is another one of those base issues that we talk about with, with IoT, where it's such an issue, where we saw on October 21st, 2016, when Dyne got shut down. In fact, you know, I was going to talk about that, and I'll talk about it in, in just a second here. Okay, but the, I want to bring up the issue first, is that you now have suddenly so many, so many uh, new devices that you could use as part of a botnet to do, to do an attack. I mean, potentially, you... I'm sure you can figure it out to where this could become a botnet itself, just using light bulbs. And how many light bulbs are there in the world? And if everybody, you know, if the price goes down on Philips Hue and then suddenly everybody's got one of these goddamn things, I mean, you know, you could take down the internet in no time with light bulbs. Not even just through Zigbee. I mean, I mean, that's, that's another option of doing it. Woo. And I get it. I know Zigbee is supposed to kind of allow for that there isn't that many IP addresses, but what if they're trying to solve this problem that came up and in so doing, they start assigning, you know, IP addresses and then they do become a problem. So the thing I wanted to bring up with Dyn, I, I wanted to mention this during, uh, during the foreplay, but with Dyn, Dyn just got bought out last week by Oracle. Now, I don't want to like make a conspiracy or anything, but, <laughs> but the first thought that went through my mind is when I heard that, I was like, I wouldn't be surprised if old Larry Ellison at Oracle 
if there wasn't some kind of perhaps uh, industrial espionage, some kind of industrial, you know, some kind of B2B action done that uh, – that, well, do, do you get where I'm going with this? I don't know that I want to say it outright. But that maybe somebody actually enacted this giant, uh, you know, botnet against Dine in particular and then, you know, softened up Dine for an acquisition. Somebody. I'm not saying who. <laughs> just tossing that out there. I don't have any evidence for that. That's pure speculation. But if you think shit like that hasn't happened in the past with, with various companies, you're kidding yourself. Read a little bit more of this story here and then we'll move on. The fact that the attack targets devices by... Or we already talked about that. Like many IoT companies, Philips' business model for its smart lights involves controlling who may make and sell the light bulbs. Uh, Philips charges a very high markup on its bulbs. Last December, the company covertly updated its lights to reject third-party bulbs. It later walked uh, walked this back after public outcry. Good, I'm glad that that happened. Uh, companies that use encryption to prevent third-party consumables can use laws like Section 1201 of the U.S. Digital, uh, you know, the DMCA, to, uh, to threaten competitors with lawsuits and even prison sentences for breaking the crypto. This right extends to threatening security researchers for revealing embarrassing defects in their products. It's probably not a coincidence that one of the researchers on this paper is affiliated with an Israeli institution as Israel is the only major U.S. Tra- uh, trading partner that has not been forced to adopt a version of the DMCA 1201 by the U.S. Trade Representative. Canada has had its version since 2011, meaning that the Canadian author has done something exceptionally brave and maybe foolhardy by putting his name to this paper. So point being is that, holy shit, <laughs> okay, even if you wanted. So yeah, let's let's bring up the fact that there's these real security concerns. We got to know about this before we can get to any actual solutions, perhaps to solve IoT, even though the real solution is let's just not do this category. Let's not do this. Let's let's just not make this a thing. Let's make IoT, you know, go the way of the dodo. But if you want to report on it, oh shit, looks like you can't just do that if you're in the US or if you're in Canada. And Israel was able to because they didn't sign it. They didn't sign up with the DMCA. Very interesting. That shows you something else. I mean, is that, look, by law, the internet, the web, the interconnected electronic infrastructure of the world is inherently insecure because of, as Snowden so well put it, words on paper. I am so glad that that Canadian researcher ignored those fucking words on paper. Because otherwise, you could have a whole city go dark. How about that, Matt Novak? <laughs> light bulbs. I, you know, I'll tell you, when I started this show, I mean, I've talked about lights. You know, you can talk about like kind of the science behind lights. Like, oh, how does blue light affect the human brain at night? You know, you can talk about that sort of thing. Um, you know, there's the idea of, you know, what about incandescence? Like, you know, do CFLs, uh, you know, affect uh, sleep cycles and all this different stuff, right? Um, you know, compact fluorescent lights, so CFL is. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I imagine talking about that sort of thing on Sovereign Tech. But I'll tell you, four years ago, if I was to, to think that I would be talking about you know, light bulbs connected to my router directly. Not as in like, you know, say, say that, you know, the house, 
lighting system or something was somehow connected to the <laughs> somehow connected to my router. I mean, I like I could imagine that. But like did the light bulbs themselves, you know, actually had like full on you, you know processors in them to that to some effect? Like no, I would have never imagined that. That light bulbs would be a security concern? Never ever ever in all of my years in technology, I know I've said this before, but really, in all the years I've spent in the tech world, would I have imagined that we would be worried about light bulbs taking down the fucking internet? Never. Now, you could say, well, you know, perhaps a, a, a more, um, not a malicious actor, but an actor engaging in, in securing human liberties or something could use such a, you know, such a, uh, such a hack or crack you know, to, to do something, you know, perhaps uh, of some good, some kind of activist uh, uh, thing, you know, of some good. Yeah, maybe that could happen. But I guarantee you that that same activist, if you ask them, would you rather have a secure system or not, they'd ask for that damn secure system. Woo! This is something else. IoT, such a bad idea. I'm, I'm, I'm really going to enjoy doing this segment every week <laughs> because there's always some bullshit, you know, <laughs> so from the funny to the sad to the pathetic, like light bulbs. Yeah, this is going to be a good time. Anyway, all right, let's take, a, let's take another uh, quick little break here. So what I want to tell you about another great sponsor of Sovereign Tech, and, you know, we're talking about Bitcoin, Bitcoin preferred. You know, how do you keep an eye on all this crypto? How do you keep an eye on the news, you know, the, the social aspects of it? How do you know what the, you know, the great wallets are? How do you know, you know, what the prices are? How, how do you keep an eye on all this shit? Well, I'll tell you, there's one way I do, and that is CryptoCompare.com. You want to be, I say this, I know, but it's true. I keep that website open almost 24-7. <laughs> you know, and, I, and I'm just like, all right, yeah, what's going on? Ooh, oh, looking good. You know, I, I mean, it, it, it keeps me on point in, in the cryptocurrency space. You, you want to be checking out CryptoCompare.com. Uh, and I cannot thank them enough for being a sponsor uh, of Sovereign Tech and for seeing the value of the message, the messages that get delivered on the show. Because it ain't happening in any other tech shows. I guarantee you that. And you already heard, I mean, you know, one of the most popular tech news websites out there, guess what? It's Gizmodo. And look at the bullshit they're schlepping on you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the fact that there are, there are websites, companies, individuals, industries that are supporting independent media like Sovereign Tech, thank you. And you thank them by checking them out. And hell, if you want, say, hey, I heard about you on Sovereign Tech, you know, and thank you for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Go ahead, send them a thank you email. That would mean a lot to me, and I guarantee you'd mean a lot to them. So, you know, if you want to do that, do so. But, yeah, if you want to keep a track on the cryptocurrency space, that's the place to go, CryptoCompare.com. What a great website. In fact, you know, when I go to CryptoCompare.com, seriously, my ad blocker doesn't do shit. It doesn't go off for anything. It's, it's great. I mean, this is just, just a wonderful website. I, I, I really appreciate what they do. Uh, so go ahead, CryptoCompare.com, and we thank them, of course, for uh, sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Uh, now... Let's get into woo, the climax, baby. <laughs> the segment that never goes anywhere. <laughs> so, uh, and we will, I, I promise you, we'll get into some uh, tech history. Uh, you know, d don't worry. In fact, next week, I have a very special episode planned, and we'll get into some tech history then. We might not get into my, the first tech history I wanted to do. I want to talk about the Commodore 64. We might, we might not get into that in depth, but 
I'll, I'll save it, and when we get into it, I'm, I'm sure you'll love it. But got a very special episode of Sovereign Tech uh, planned, at least right now, for you for next week uh, that I, I really can't wait uh, to, uh, to, to get into. So let's, uh, let's get into the climax here. And the climax, of course, is the part of the show where I can talk about whatever the fuck I want to talk about. Uh, it could be a, a television show, movies, uh, you know, a technology, it could be a topic, it could be yeah, comic books, fuck. I, you know, in fact, I saw Doctor Strange. Uh, in fact, I'm going to talk about a movie. I'm not going to talk about Doctor Strange. Um, but I am going to talk about a movie here. Um, and, do- but but Doctor Strange, I did go and see that. Uh, it was actually a great time. Uh, I went with wonderful people, and including the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. And, you know... So Marvel movies are very, very, very formulaic uh, to the point of cliche, like that that it's almost boring to watch Marvel movies now, especially the origin stories, because they're really all the same, right? Um, and Doctor Strange kind of kind of surprised me. Not that it didn't follow the formula; it was the same, but there was such unique the the style of the film. And, and a lot of the effects, I mean, it was all CGI, of course, but, or mostly CGI, but like the presentation overall was just, just unique enough. The story really wasn't unique and it did fine going by the, largely going by the comics and all that. Um, I used to read Dr. Strange as a kid, but I mean, he was never like a major player. You know, I didn't read him like I'd read Iron Man or something, um, you know, or, or some of DC's properties, which is my, I, I like DC a lot more than I like Marvel, but, uh, but Dr. Strange was good. It was genuinely funny at points. Uh, and, you know, all the actors were great. Benedict Cumberbatch did a great job. Uh, I, you know, I was I was surprised because I really don't have any... Personally, I have no compulsion to ever see another Marvel movie. I just don't care because, like I said, they're all pretty much the same. Nothing dangerous is really going to happen. Uh, like, you know, nothing... Um, you know, nobody's really going to die. Not that people need to die. But, like, nothing, nothing really earth-shattering ever occurs you know what I mean by earth shattering, <laughs> you know, ever occurs in these movies because they're going to play it safe because they got to sell toys. And if somebody's dead or somebody's out of commission, it doesn't really sell a toy, does it? Uh, you know, so I don't really care for the entire Marvel industry anymore, even though at first it was, they were doing a really great job. Um, well, I, okay. The Black Panther movie. I'm going to go see that. <laughs> I'm definitely, definitely on board with seeing Black Panther. Um, but otherwise, I don't care about him. But Doctor Strange was pretty good. This is probably going to be their last hurrah. We're like, yeah, okay, we pulled it off with this one. So there will likely be a Doctor Strange too. Um, and, and obviously, you know, Doctor Strange will be in Avengers 3 or whatever it happens to be. But uh, yeah, so yeah, our, all right film, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I saw Arrival recently too. And I think Arrival was, again, Arrival was good. It wasn't great. Um, I think Arrival is probably the better of the two, in my opinion, but Doctor Strange wasn't, wasn't bad. It's just, you know, not something, I don't know. I was glad I was asked to see it anyway. I'll, I'll just put it that way. So, all right. Now, what I do want to talk about, let's get into it. I was wasting a bunch of time there. <laughs> I want to talk about, we talked about Edward Snowden earlier, so this is rather fitting. Um, I did just recently see the 2016 Edward Snowden film that had, uh, oh, what's his name? Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing, uh, playing Edward Snowden, uh, had, uh, Shailene Woodley, playing Edward Snowden's, you know, love interest. Um, and, uh, you know, it had a bunch of other, you know, the acting across the board on this was, uh, was fantastic. Uh, Oliver Stone did a, did a, did a really, yeah, I, I thought he did a pretty good job. Um, it was a good movie overall. Um, this is again, another case though, where I think is good, not great. 
Um, some of the things like so something I enjoy doing, unless it's like a Star Wars or a Star Trek film or something in, in, in a certain franchise that I that I really love. Like if they ever do like a Sailor Moon live action movie or something, I'd be there day one. Um, you know, unless it's something like that, I actually like to wait a couple a week or two if I can, if it's not going to get taken out of theaters right away. Um, I, I like to wait and because I like to see what people's reactions are. And oftentimes I've learned over the years now, and this is something I've only been able to do since social media has been a thing really. Um, but it, I find that it tells a lot more about people than it does about the movie. That that's, that's a conclusion I've really come to, especially with Snowden, because a lot of people complained about, it's like, oh, they have Snowden having sex. Why do they show him having sex? Why is there sex in this movie? Blah, 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 blah. And there was like one scene. You know, and, and it was, it was fine. I mean, it wasn't like anything risk, really risque and it had a point, you know, of like showing the closest human act that, that perhaps you would want to keep private and the the potential that it was being watched. Okay. Now, I mean, and again, spoiler alerts across the board, you know, that's all you're going to get. I'm going to talk about it. I don't care. Okay. I think people that don't, people that get mad about spoilers uh, are, are terrorists. You're, you're holding the world's tongues hostage. Okay. So that's all you get from me now. Um, yeah, so there's that one sex scene. I mean, you know, Shailene Woodley, nice. I mean, whatever. Okay, so sex scene, done, out of the way. We, we, we talked about that. Um, it could have used more. I wouldn't have minded if it had a ton more, but I, I mean, I feel that way about any form of entertainment. I want sex, you know, all over the fucking place. Uh, that's just my own opinion. That doesn't mean that that's the way things should be. It's just what I want, you know, and other people can have differing opinions. Like I said, that says more about that person who's like, oh, why did they show sex in it really than it does about the movie? Because I think honestly, though, objectively, regardless of the subjective desires of what you want in a film, objectively, that was really, really fucking tame. <laughs> like and it was it was not a long scene anyway um so the movie you know it was really interesting and and i guess it was it was fairly accurate uh snowden does speak at the end of it like they do show snowden himself on camera uh even though joseph gordon levitt is playing him through throughout most of it and levitt did a fine job um the so i'll tell you this like if if all if all the little personality quirks that Edward Snowden has are accurate, wow! <laughs> like I feel like I was watching my brother, and I don't mean that because I want I want some kind of in with Snowden. You know, I I really don't care uh, about that. You know, Snowden's just a guy, but like I, you know, hey. <laughs> Things I didn't even know. I mean, like, you know, he talks about his passion for Star Wars, digging Ayn Rand. Uh, he was really into Ghost in the Shell. You know, he's into anime quite a bit. That's kind of how he met his love interest. Uh, you know, and he was into anime sort of in, you know, 90s, early aughts, whatever, and which was still kind of a, you know, you were still kind of rare if you were into it then. Now everybody's fucking into it. Um, you know, and just, just a lot of other little things that he would say uh, where I was just like, wow, man, like, really, if that's you, it's like, I, I get it. The generational thing is kind of there. Like, he really grew up very similar to me. You know, the fact he doesn't drink or do any kind of substances, you know, or drugs or whatever. Not that I mind if people do that, and I'm sure he doesn't either. But, you know, the fact that he doesn't, like, I really related to the character on a super deep level. Uh, you know, not that, that maybe that was what was this movie was supposed to be all about. Um, but just, you know, I was like, man, you know, I could picture having a conversation with Edward Snowden and we'd be able to shoot the shit. We wouldn't have to talk about these, you know, massive subjects that he thrusted himself into. Um, 
I will say, yeah. So, you know, and someday, honestly, I'd love to do that. Like it, it, it would be an honor to talk to him though. Let me, let me lay this out. If this is how this whole situation actually went down. So the way that he got the information out of, according to the movie, the way that he got the information out of, and, and according to him to some degree, out of, um, you know, the, the base that he was in in Hawaii, okay, was he had a Rubik's Cube. That was the other thing that we had in common. I always have a Rubik's Cube with me. Uh, I have a waterproof one that I keep with me, like, at all times. And so it was just kind of cool that that's one of his things. Uh, but anyway, which, you know, I recommend a Rubik's Cube because I understand people want to fiddle things with their hands. And instead of using your smartphone, you could replace it with your Rubik's Cube. I actually did a I did a, a Periscope episode of Sovereign Tech from the shower where I talked about that. <laughs> but anyway, um, whereas, oh yeah, so so if the way that he did it, so he, he got the data on a micro SD card, he put the micro SD card in his Rubik's Cube. And then as he's about to go through the scanner, to see if he had anything on him that he wasn't supposed to have on him, like say that micro SD card, he tosses it. He tosses the Rubik's cube to one of the security guards and then he goes through the machine and then the security guard gives him the Rubik's cube back. Now that, that just seems, I don't know. You know, I mean, I was in the military and you know, I I've, I've been on point you know, on checkpoints and all that. And I just, I don't think that could happen. You know, I know these guys weren't military that, that were, you know, that were running the checkpoint that he had to go through, um, you know, at the base, it was, you know, it was, uh, whatever police officers or some kind of security, but, uh, I, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll just say it. I find that part a little hard to believe that that, that that happened. Like if somebody tossed me a Rubik's cube, if somebody tossed me any kind of toy, I would, you know, I'd toss it right first off. I mean, like, I wouldn't even catch it. I'd probably, like, let it drop. And then I'd, you know, if I was in the military, understand this isn't something I do today. But if I were in that military patriotic mindset and I'd point my gun at it because I'd be like, what the fuck? Even if I was in Hawaii, um, you know, <laughs> like, I, I just, I kind of feel like that, that that part of it's a little odd. And there are people who hold the opinion, uh, like there's the host on No Agenda, and there's others who think that Edward Snowden actually is still working for the CIA, that this was all, this whole thing was a big op, and that, um, you know, this is all, that everything that Edward Snowden's going through is kind of by design. Or perhaps that there are certain points where it went by design, and maybe somewhere Snowden might have uh, stepped away from the script, you know, and went rogue, you know, later on than what is, you know, accepted as the, as the, the popular narrative of how all this went down. Um, and that, just that one little point is the, maybe the one area where I'd be like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> and I probably just shot my chances of ever, of, of ever, you know, getting to talk to Snowden or hang out with him or something. Um, but you know, again, not a big deal. You know, again, he is just a person. He is just a man. Um, but yeah, that, that part is really, really unbelievable. I mean, the movie did a great job overall. Like I said, it was a very enjoyable film. Um, I definitely think it's worth anybody seeing. Uh, and, and you know, the, the information that got revealed, all that, all that stuff was a very important thing to happen. I'm not taking anything away from that whatsoever. And I'm certainly not grilling him like Matt Novak, like we talked about earlier in the show. 
But I, I just got to say that that, and especially when you when you see it kind of happen in the movie, and yes, it's somewhat of a dramatization, but that's where that's where it gets a little bit unbelievable. I was just like, no, I really don't think think things could have flown that way. So, <laughs> uh, but but again, you know, music, everything, the the, the movie, it's a fine fine movie, it, it, and and I'm I'm actually very impressed at how good of a job uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt did as uh, as Edward Snowden. Obviously, he kind of changed his voice a bit. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some post-editing to make him sound a little more um, like Edward Snowden. Uh, I thought the character of Edward Snowden's a very likable guy, and if that's the real person, um, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd love to, I'd, I'd love to talk up some stuff with him, <laughs> you know, because I think we've had a very similar past. Uh, just kind of guessing by 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 a lot of his his history as he describes it um, in that movie. And I wouldn't split a drink with, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't share a drink with them. You know, maybe we'd have a glass of water or some tea, uh, you know. So anyway, uh, yeah, so check it out if you hadn't. I, I thought it was great. There wasn't anything like, the only thing that was glaring for me was, was that one aspect with the Rubik's Cube where that gets tossed to the security guard. I was just like, yeah, that, if that's exactly how that went down, that part of the sto- this whole story is very unbelievable. And maybe some people could share anecdotes with me to where, you know, oh, yeah, I've done this a million times where, you know, look, the TSA is so inept and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, I know it's the TSA, but this is really a very different situation as, as I'm led to believe, you know, about this installation in Hawaii um, or, you know, or wherever else, you know, any of these kinds of installations, you, you'd think it would be kind of different. But you know, maybe somebody could could bring up a bunch of different points where, oh no, this person got this through with the CIA, and this person got this out this way, and all this stuff. Um, it, it's just I'm just saying that that part was a little little hard to believe, but otherwise, uh, very enjoyable film. The the idea of you know, I hope that this movie popularized the idea of putting tape over your fucking camera. Boy, do I hope that that popularized that notion. Um, I hope that, and I think this movie could do it. I think this movie, especially when it gets out on home video, uh, you know, can can really illustrate to people, look, this is the nature of the beast. And I think it will deliver on that. I think it can deliver on that. And, and I think it's, it's a fine, uh, um, medium for getting that message out there that we do need to pay attention to our technology and we do need to pay attention to who's collecting what and who's doing what with what. And, you know, we, you know, with whatever information that you might think is benign, but turns out maybe that baby, maybe that stuff's not so benign. Maybe that stuff's not so simple and that we need to start caring about privacy again. Uh, so I hope that that message gets parlayed through this film. But yeah, fine film. I I, I really enjoyed it. I, I I think it's safe to say Stephanie enjoyed it as well. We watched it together um, in just a good time. So anyway, that's enough for this week. Uh, if you want to help out with the show, of course, please do not hesitate to donate. You can go to SovereignTech.com, which leads you to the Patreon page. Or you can go to Patreon.com slash SovereignTech, whatever. Become a patron. Believe me, it helps out a lot. You can share the show. Sharing the show helps out immensely, and that's relatively free to do. Uh, and, of course... Um, you know, you can donate. There's, there's, you can, you know, do one-time donations in Bitcoin if you like. Um, and there is the wish list, which we are certainly in need of some equipment uh, that is on that wish list. So you can go to wishlist.zog.ninja if you want to do any of that. But you know, one of the best things you can do is definitely help out through Patreon at Sovereign uh, So anyway, that's enough for this week. Woo! I got something lined up beautiful for you next week. We'll, we'll see how it all shapes up. But uh, I'll see you on the other side.
You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the Evolution. Evolution.